Uh, well, it was wide, like, you know. I don't know how many thousand people were, were here. I'd say every one of them thought it was wide except the umpire. But anyway, so look, that's what happens when you, you know, when you weigh grounds, you don't tend to get breaks. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Very welcome along. It's Wednesday morning. This is one of those uh, weeks where it feels like decades worth of news is happening. Obviously, the replay was ordered yesterday. We have a player at Atletico Madrid. Uh, Evan Ferguson's ankle might be okay. So, uh, you know, life is good. We have plenty to talk about. If you want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. Add off the ball AM on Twitter. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream if you're subscribed to our YouTube feeds. And uh, as well as that, you can always get us 0879 that's the WhatsApp number. Shane is here. Shane, how are you? Good morning. How are things? Good. You've been in uh, contact with our Colombian correspondent? Yeah, Colombian... Uh, not, I was going to say Colombian cartel correspondent, but not quite. Uh, Owen Sheehan, yeah. He was in a nightclub last night. In Bogota. Bog- Bogota. What's the nightlife like in Bogota? I would imagine there's a lot of reggaeton music. Is and, it better uh, than the one in Medellin? Medellin, yes. He's, he's getting around. Um, but yeah, I bumped into a mutual friend, uh, or a, a guy I uh, knew from college, so messaged me this morning, and then very passive-aggressively at... Six this morning said, have a good show, as he uh, sits in a nightclub. Spending a lot of time in Colombia, isn't he? This was meant to be a whistle-stop tour of South America, and he's gone about six months and he still hasn't left Colombia. I don't know what the attraction is. He has been to other places, I'm pretty sure. He's been in Mexico, hasn't he? And yeah. yeah. Uh, so look, we're just jealous. We're, living, we're trying to live vicariously here, so keep, keep the messages coming. <laughs> don't want to be seeing this. Keep the, the late-night messages coming yeah. and the correction of the pronunciations we should have brought that to air I, I wasted a good opportunity for some top quality content there yeah fair the the correct pronunciation of Medellin yeah well Tommy's was You're Tommy's wrong. was Medellin right. Medellin okay yeah. it's not Medellin it's not Medellin Tommy Rooney says that was middle. Uh right it is uh, 7.32 this morning who were the big winners and losers from the transfer uh, from the window it feels a lot like it was it, it's hard to call Chelsea a winner is it like, have they, have they bankrupted the team for a generation to come? Or have they got together the greatest collection of footballers we've ever seen? Because turning this into a team is going to be very difficult. Yeah, I was sitting down last night trying to figure out what is the Chelsea starting eleven going to look like at the end of this? So in two months' time, when Graham Potter's had them on the training pitch... They still have a crap goalkeeper. Well, they have two goalkeepers that maybe they're not quite sure of, and they spend £50 million or more on both of them. And you look through that squad and that's a consistent pattern everywhere. Mm. And you look at, it's a British transfer record, Enzo Fernandez. He's the most expensive player in the history of British football. At 10 million, Benfica paid from last summer. Ah, uh, here. Last summer. They're cute, aren't they? He scored one goal for them. I know it's not his role to score goals. Yeah. But he's played half a season and he's gone from 10 million to 121 million. And uh, Dan McDonald's pointing out in, in his piece today about Matt Doherty that um, Nottingham Forest in the summer spent more than all of the other major leagues combined. Mm. Like that one club. And the same was true of all of the clubs in the Premier League apart from two. So if you're at the top of the, top of the pile at the most inflationary moment in the history of the game, that's a lot of money. It's remarkable that it is the most inflationary moment in the history of the game considering... Like lots of things in life, we thought post-COVID it would be a very different world and football would have to approach things differently and they'd be far more sensible in their spending. 
with the Manchester United and Liverpool sale ongoing, it is interesting that American owners have come in and made this level of investment. They clearly feel that there's a lot more to go in terms of revenue and valuation. for the Premier League. Yeah. Now, whether the Premier League and English football fans will like the way they want to go about bringing in that revenue and whether they're happy to just stay with the current television deals and the current model of playing all your games at home, 19 games at home, 19 games away. I think all those things will be coming back on the table. You mean a, years. an extra game in America, that kind of stuff? As, as you see in the NFL, now there'll be absolute outrage and we might be several years, but I think Todd Bowley you know, clearly isn't just spending this money. Like This is a team who've spent, as we say, an insane. You even look at since last summer, they've spent over 50 million on five different players and they brought in the third most expensive player of all time on loan. On top of that, mm. in Zhao Felix, 120 million for Enzo Fernandez, 80 million for Wesley Fofana, who's been injured the entire time since he came from Leicester, Mikhailo Mudrik, 70 million, Mark Kukurea, 65 million, wouldn't be surprised if he was gone again during the summer, Raheem Sterling, 56 million, all in euros. But like, that's ridiculous level of spending over for a, a long period of time. For a team that's <laughs> contacts, highly, yeah. teams highly unlikely to finish inside the top four, maybe not even inside the top six. Mm. They're winners in the transfer. They are winners. Are they? Is, is, this, is this a good thing for money them? Money doesn't matter. Uh, like they have the money. Well, uh, it, the, it, money it, doesn't it, matter unless it totally destabilizes your squad and the players who have been there for several years, of which there's very few, are looking around going, what? And there's nothing in Chelsea's history to suggest that this always works. If you look through the most expensive transfers of all time and where Chelsea fit into it and the players they bought, how many of them have been a success? Romelu Lukaku. Well, currently on loan. Currently gone on loan. So you'd imagine they're probably paying a good chunk of his money. Kai Havertz. Solid squad player. Look, you know, did win a Champions League for them. So um, there is that. Maybe that one moment will. This money doesn't matter. I was looking at the figures last night. People even on Sky were saying they they could have bought West Ham for nearly as much as they spent in January. The fans don't care. Todd Bowley doesn't care. So why should we care? You know, they bought some top... Because it all comes... it all comes back to ticket prices eventually to I know, be a yeah. knock-on effect for the fans. Well, notwithstanding that, right, because um, I'm not a Chelsea ticket buyer, right, uh, but from a, a team-building perspective, uh, has there been examples of this methodology working in the past where you go out like a, a drunk kid in a sweet shop and go, Aah! and then you end up like the kids in South Park haven't taken the cough medicine? Absolutely crazy. Forrest has worked. They're they're more than going going to avoid relegation if they if they keep pushing. They're working, working. Like the, Forrest sums up the insanity of it. When I know you talk about if, if Forrest had worked, they Keller would be Navas six. now plays for Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah Keller Navas but, plays for Nottingham but, Forest. But, I mean, um, I, sorry, this has happened before when Shelby. when Queens Park Rangers went out and signed the five Champions League winners and probably got relegated. Mm. Remember they had like more Champions League winners playing for not for QPR than anybody else. Um, that was the was that the Flavio Briatore era. Yeah, that was. Uh, we should get Richard on, done on. Julio Cesar was the keeper. The, talk about the great days. Mm. Rio Ferdinand, centre back. Oh yeah. Sean Wright Phillips, all of them on about 150 grand a week. I mean, nice work if you can get it. It's a short term thing, isn't it? It doesn't work. Doesn't work for long. Well, but with Chelsea, they have a seemingly bottomless pit of money. But remember, they also wanted to sign Saicedo from Brighton and couldn't get him. Like that wasn't we brought somebody else in because of him. They were willing to spend another 70 million to. <laughs> bring another centre midfield 
or into the team and couldn't the, get away with it. I think Bodie's just getting involved. Like, they were involved in the Sabitzer thing for an hour or two yesterday as well. They were like, oh, if Enzo doesn't happen, Marcel Sabitzer could be going to Chelsea instead of United. They just seem to want every player that, that their rivals want to sign. They just get involved. Well, I don't uh, know if it's Todd Bowley thing or if it's that Graham was the tweet, wasn't it about uh, Todd Bowley trying to hijack the Jorginho deal? It was like, what? Uh, hey, I see oh, what you did there. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Matt Doherty's gone to, to Atletico Madrid. Oh. Out of nowhere, it was like, um, we'll have to go and do a show yeah, from yeah. Madrid. Well, we just have to. It was like we've never had a player. At, at, have we had a player at Atletico Madrid before? I don't think so. No, no, no. no. You ever had a player at Real Madrid? No, never had a right, player well, at Barcelona. Re- we're getting, we're so. getting on the list. So it's the first Irish player at one of the big teams in Spain. That's a it's a pretty seismic moment. I know we had to. What was it Ian Hart was at Levante? That was the famous one. Sporting the end of his career. Yeah. Kevin Moran. Moran, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Moran. And um, was there somebody else? Uh, somebody Patrick I didn't. O'Connell back, managed Barcelona. That's back true, this is true. Steve yeah, Finnan. of course. Steve Finnan, that was the one I was thinking Again, of. went towards the latter stage of his career. Uh, there have been Irish success stories, like Michael Robinson was a unbelievable oh, yeah. success story back in the 80s, and John Aldridge did very well. He did, for that one season. For that one season, uh, when he went to Real Sociedad. So, like, there's an excitement, and then there's a reality to what Matt Doherty is walking into and how much game time he will get. So, Neville Molina, who famously scored the winning goal in the World Cup final, is currently playing it right back for Atletico Madrid. They're fourth in the league. They're not going to win the title. They were dumped out of Europe, completely dumped out of Europe. Yeah. Uh, so, there's not going to be too many European games. So, is Doherty going to get himself a game? He's obviously... Uh, working with George Mendes and there's a strong connection there with Atletico Madrid and this is the way of the modern transfer market that your agent quite often dictates where you end up and it does seem for Matt Doherty it ends up quite nicely I think he was quite friendly with Gareth Bale so maybe he just you know takes Gareth's spot at the golf club in Madrid and takes his apartment and stays there for six months nice I don't know if this is a is a long term deal in terms of will there be an extension if it goes well if Tottenham have like again well, there's it, so many parts of this transfer market when you look at it late last <laughs> night they have to cancel his contract because they've so many players already out on loan they're not allowed to have another one uh, it's brilliant from Matt Doherty that they've cancelled his contract and that he's on a short term yeah. deal mm. because he is then free to take all the money in the summer from whoever he wants it's a brilliant brilliant moment for him so they, they probably had to pay him off to cancel his contract I have 18 months left here what do you, I'm not going anywhere no you have to go no I'm not going anywhere no, you have to go. No, I'm not going anywhere. Okay, here's a million quid. Or two million quid. But again, or, or I, whatever. Quite possibly, but when, you know... Happy days, Matt Doherty. There's agency is involved. So maybe Mendes seals... Uh, no, and we get somebody the, else comes to Tottenham get in the six other months' side. time. And yeah, but the player has to get... The player has to get... Here, I think it's have a you, good adventure, and if he gets some game time... Of, have you seen the uh, Atletico description of Matt Doherty's style of play? Henry Hill. This is... This is, <laughs> this, is quite, this is quite good. So, Atletico Madrid statement. Uh, a corpulent 31-year-old right-footed winger. Does anyone know what corpulent means? Fat. I mean, what a way to describe that's your new not, signing. No, that's not good. The, the, I mean, the, uh, I've lost the translation. With the capacity to also occupy the interior demarcation, he is safe from high and holds the position well in defence. And once he regains possession of the ball, his good long passes facilitates the creation of plays of attack. So he's fat, but he can play well. He ain't fat. He's not like fat an all, incredible athlete. Yeah. Like so the, there's a lot loss of translation there somewhere. Again, I know there's an excitement. Uh, there is a very strong possibility that if we much. look at it from an Ireland point of view, he would have played far more for Tottenham over well, the next M- six Molina months. Hasn't pl- Molina's been crap, apparently. for Atletico. They've had to play Marcus Llorente at right back for quite some parts of the season, and he, they, I think they prefer him let's further the, up. Let's play the video. This is from uh, the Atletico Twitter account. Six seconds. Hi, Atleticos. Very happy to be here. Can't wait to get training, and hopefully see you at the game Saturday. There you go. 
can't wait to hear him speak in Spanish. That's just great. Speaks a smile to your face. That's, That's bad. It's great. So. I'm delighted for him. Um, it's like Robbie at Inter. That didn't really work out. But you know, yeah. And a bit, a bit of shit in the last minute, last few minutes against France as Ireland lead one 0 Ah, this is yeah. sorry, this is yeah. this is the only reason everyone's excited about Atletico. Yeah. It's that like they're playing Real Madrid in a couple of weeks' time. Ah, oh, like, magic. What we want is a giant scrap. <laughs> Even if he's a sub, he's in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. getting in Benzema's face. Yeah, well, Benzema's retired, isn't he? Well. Uh, we should talk about the other big news that uh, a replay Real. has been ordered by the CCCC in the Croaks Glen game. Um, Croaks made it clear from the start that they weren't interested they were going to send the cup up and you're like really? Is that, not, is that not being a bit of a baby in the whole thing? It's like no we're not going to play we're not going to abide by the rules well, the, rules don't, the rules don't matter for us they didn't, they didn't matter in the 16th man it's like okay grand and now it's like well you can't you can't the, the, the result can't stand because you had 16 men on the field of play yeah. I keep seeing people say this doesn't matter it's like uh, <laughs> if it doesn't matter, why do you have the rule in the first place? No, I don't, I don't understand that. Oh, they wouldn't have scored anyways. We'll never know. How what do you know? Uh, sorry, hang on a second. If you know they weren't going to score, what's the, what's the winner in the three o'clock at Kempton today? Because you can tell the future there, buddy. What's going to win? <laughs> Look, this is a complete shambles and has been from the first moment. The ruling following the meeting of the CCCC clearly says that Chemical Croaks are at fault for this. That is their ruling. Now, and they've imposed the penalty of a replay of the game. Croaks can appeal and then they can go all the way to the DRA and there's every possibility that they'll go and do that. Or Glenn could go to the DRA. Quite. If, uh, if, um, if Croaks win this next appeal. You know, Declan Bogue was interesting last night. That Does anybody believe this game is going to be replayed now? Like Shane Walsh, I think, is in Australia. There's you know players back with their county teams. There's players out injured who've had operations. Like, life has moved on very quickly. Yeah, the only way this was going to be replayed is if the GEA came out last Monday morning and said, here, there's an issue, we're going to investigate this quickly, we're going to talk to the two teams, we're going to figure this out. Ten days on, it's going to run for another ten days. This is an All-Ireland final. We have changed the entire fabric of the GEA season to put a greater focus on the club. It's the All-Ireland final, and we're just just not going to have a winner? It's not going to ever have a proper decision on this? Like, that's where this is heading right now, that Kilmacud refused to play the game. Why were they refusing Glenn, to play the game? On what basis are they refusing to play the well, game? On, well, on what moral... Winners in their own heads. On well, what moral basis, when you have an extra man on the field of play at the end of the game and you're defending, are you saying you didn't get an unfair advantage? Are well, you saying you didn't benefit from that? And if, if you're saying you didn't benefit from that, well then, okay, fine. But then, but then that, that speaks about what you believe in like, is actually fair play. No, and f- from the first night, it was clear that the way, and I, I can't speak on behalf of Kilmacud and don't want to speak on behalf of Kilmacud, that they were looking at this as a mistake was made. We made a substitution. The referee started the game too quickly before our player had an opportunity to come off. The referee made a mistake. The referee makes lots of mistakes. But that's, and this is what happens that's in the not game. Correct. So we're the All-Ireland champions. But we that, don't know if that's not correct. But we do know it's not correct because they had 16 men on the field of play. There was no, well, Absolutely. Was, there's a responsibility on the team. So, and that's mm-hmm. it. And once they fail... But there's also a responsibility on the officials. It's, it's both. It is and both. Yeah. the fact that the GEA have just stayed silent and not in any way said, geez, there was a screw-up here. So we're going to have well, to work with the two teams. Apparently in their, in their correspondence to them yesterday, now I, I've only seen this reported, I haven't seen the correspondence, um, that there was an acknowledgement that there was an error on the part of the uh, the officials on the field, right? That's the first time they said that. Mm. Now, again, 
I have to say, I think if everybody come out straight away, if the GA come out straight away and said there's a mistake, we're going to investigate, and if Crooks come out and said, yeah, we made an honest mistake, then Glenn immediately would have gone, fair enough, field of play, but we, we accept your apology and we move on. But they didn't do that. They've Everybody, I would say, apart from Glenn, have chronically mishandled this to the point where we're now seeing, oh, we're going to send the cup up the road to you. It's like, I think that's, I think that's shocking. Do you think there's a universe in which Kilmacud now agree just, right, fuck it, let's play the, let's play the replay? Just get it done whenever you want to do it. March, Paddy's Day, it doesn't matter. I, uh, there's been no suggestion that that's going to happen. How they make that happen with the disruption it would cause on so many people's lives to play the game again. But the like, fact that it's ran them, on 10 days, we won't know. Give them six weeks notice, right? Paddy's weekend, away we go, on Paddy's Day, and you've got six weeks. Your man can come back from Australia. People will have recovered from injury. Mannion will be much better by that stage. He'll have loads of training in. Like, I, I mean... What did Glass and Doherty do? Like, when did they leave the dairy panel to go well, back into training with The week with before, the you know? Exactly. Like, look at the impact on Derry. Like, Derry are fighting for a place in the Sam Maguire competition. Yeah, yeah. If you were to lose two of their best players... For a week, for two games. But is it look, just it's a not week? ideal. Is it just for two games? It's not, it's not ideal. No one's saying it's ideal, but it's like... Again, no one steps in. It's an All Ireland final. I get that the GEA's line seems to be, well, if we step in here, we'll be stepping in everywhere. It's the All Ireland final. Yeah. We're going to end up in a scenario oh, where second. literally I'm there's sorry. just there's not this, even an asterisk. There's just a didn't happen. This isn't this isn't a refereeing error on its own. This is sixteen against fifteen. It's it, so anytime there's sixteen against fifteen and it's proven, step in. Right. The rule is you can't have sixteen on, and the next time this happens, there's no. There's no uh, hearing about it. It's automatic disqualification. You're gone. If you have 16 men on, it's up to you not to have 16 men on. And then all of a sudden, people take the responsibility to only What's have 15 16 men, men on. So, like, where, where do you draw the line on that? Are you put Kilmacud at 17 men on? Paul Manning was still on the pitch. Well, I th- I that think happens in every single game. But when a player is directly affected. So, so, but that's so what I mean. So, rule. this all comes because of the GEA's attitude in general to rules like this, which is. And, like no, we couldn't stop play. Imagine, imagine how long a game had gone for if we had to stop play for substitutions. So yeah, and so again, every the other sport, the other, like in soccer, do it. The yeah. other, the other solution to all of this is add on loads of extra time at the end. Mm. So we have an automatic seven, eight minutes, and everybody just gets used to seven, eight minutes, and the drama increases. Like it just adds to the entertainment factor and the drama. There's the no Glen have done nothing wrong here, and that, like the last thing I'm sure they want is, as you said, the trophy being sent up in a taxi up the road, <laughs> and you're the All-Ireland champions and your name is going to be inscribed in it. They're like, they don't want that. No, but that's, that's like, uh, so this is the bit where it's now become like a, uh, oh, look, we're playing poker here, lads. And you're like, no, you're not playing poker. You're just, you're not, what's the spirit of the game? The spirit of the game is we're going to play by the rules and be the best team in the country. And you've got an opportunity to do that in one last game. Show up, play the game, stop whining about being victimised or any of the stuff that's coming out just play the game you're in an All-Ireland final you you screwed up you were involved in a massive massive screw up in the last minute that has prevented the uh, original result from standing and so play the game but much like the GA the fact that Croaks haven't said anything doesn't help them I think there is something in Croaks coming out and saying listen he shouldn't have been on the pitch <laughs> even that but we wanted to get him off we tried to get him off. We have video footage here showing that we were trying to get him off. The referee let them take the free quickly. He should have stopped play. Except the, the footage of them trying to get him off is like he's standing on the goal line. 
Do you know what yeah, I mean? there's no effort to come off whether he knew well, he's or not. Well, he's 60 or 70 yards away. Well, but Mannion was 60 or 70 yards away. In the chaos of the final he, seconds okay. of an All-Ireland well, final. So, you, so that's the case he would have made as opposed to... Or, and that's what... You, if you come out immediately after the game and said, oh, we were trying to get him off, didn't happen, really sorry, then then at that point you're like, but instead what's happened has been like, uh, send the cup up the road. We're what, not playing that again. What we're we're the, the champions. Philly McMahon's comments in the paper at the weekend. Someone in the comments has pointed it out. He was... Can I say to be embarrassed as a Glen player for I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see them. But like, with respect, Philly hasn't been involved in the game, mm. right? And uh, James Dunne, who was saying, you know, he was asked by Paddy on the podcast, what would you do? And he's like, well, it's easy for me to sit here objectively and say, well, you know, but I haven't spent my entire time. Yeah. And they don't know the sense of injustice. They don't know how, how close they feel. Like, I saw somebody else on Twitter saying you frequently practice against an extra man in the defence because it puts stress on you and it makes it harder so that when you come up in a match, <laughs> you feel like there's loads of space. So having an extra man in the field of play is hugely beneficial. Distinct advantage, yeah. For however long it happens. So, like if, I don't know, if my team had lost an All-Ireland final because the opposition had an extra man than they were allowed to, which is not in the rules, I wouldn't feel pretty good about it. And I wouldn't feel very good about my team not going to the ends and saying, no, we back you. We're going to give you the opportunity in a fair fight to see what happens. And Kim McCutch would be like, okay, fair enough. That's a screw up. And we've been ordered to play the replay. And because it's not our final, we're going to do it. I don't understand this. Oh, we want it. It's over. We want it in the field. It's like, what's wrong with playing the game again? I, I almost feel like people in Kim McCutch would have felt wronged by the um, sense of coverage around the Shane Walsh transfer at the outset so even before any of this happened they so had a bunker mentality. mentality well I think they had a siege mentality before any of this happened so this this on top of it has has almost added uh, so much fuel to the fire and now they feel like well everybody hates us anyway they might as well hate everybody us everybody doesn't hate them like, no that's the point that's my no, point. yeah exactly like, it, it's in their heads in, in many ways like we don't nobody hates Kim McCoy if this was the other way around we'd be calling for for Glenn to a siege you can't have a competition be decided when one team has outside the regulation number of players. Imagine like in basketball, you send on a six-man for the last play. Yeah. Imagine at the end of the Six Nations, we're defending feverishly against France. And we're like, go on, 16-man, they won't notice. Or whatever. Well, no, no, that's not also not they won't notice. Like, but like, that's not oh, an we opinion anymore either. Man. Like what you're saying there is no longer an opinion. That is the ruling of the GEA. Is that there's 16 men on that the field of play and you can't have that? And that the game has to be replayed. So yeah. it, it does change the context. Now, what will happen if Croaks don't play there's talk of a fine there's you know could they be suspended as a club if they were to refuse to play why, the game and so why like why are you walking yourself into those scenarios why don't you just gather everybody and say this is a shit situation we have we have, we own a share of it whether or not that's 20% or 80% whatever share of it we own this is a shit situation but let's fix it and let's go ahead and smash them we're the best team in the country we've been the best team in the country for the last two years let's go and smash them why is nobody saying that instead of like, oh, no, we, we did our drinking, we celebrated, we're, we can't, you, can't, you can't ask a lad to celebrate and then tell him he was celebrating on the wrong. You can't, spiritually, it's, it's you know, we yeah, won in the I, field I, of play, I, game's I, over. Look, I do still think that, it, it, you know, this wasn't me loud in that there wasn't this sense of outrage when the game finished and when they were leaving and when they were celebrating that night. Word was only starting to get around as to what had actually happened. Okay, but in so, the, on, on mature reflection... Yeah, it turns out those say, celebrations like, were Shane Walsh, is gone. Shane Walsh is gone. So, Shane, like, they are amateur players. Yeah. Like, he's one of 
30 in that squad, many of whom have probably gone off travelling the world who have plans for the rest of their life to kick yeah. on and we're going, tough okay. lads, back you come. Well, I think so, yeah, because it's not... But, I, but this is where I think the GEA, if they'd acted quickly and on Monday I, morning it got in, Shane Walsh is going, you know what, maybe I'll just... Maybe just hang out, hang around for a little while and uh, see what's going to happen. Buy here. some insurance for my but, travel. Um, can I just make the point though that like we are where we are in the infamous words of like. But I think we are where we are is going to that, and that's maybe the croaks thing now is we are where we are and our players are gone and we have won the trophy and on we go. Yeah, but you had sixteen men in the field to play, so you don't deserve to keep the trophy. Well, that's the ruling of the GEA since exactly. last night. Yeah, and, and it should have been the ruling straight away. And here's and the thing. Does, it rule out a, does the ruling now rule out a compromise? Because I did think that maybe when they got together, there might be a croak say, we're not playing the game, and Glenn say, we're not taking the trophy. So what happens so, then? Well, then I think you're in a limbo where there will be no official winner Croaks can have their satisfaction of Richie they had a great idea. the trophy and they celebrated it. Richie had a great idea last night. Kearns of Rallies versus whoever uh, Kim mm. McCudd beat. Oh, whoever Glenn beat in the semi. You guys go on, you go on and play. And they're like, yeah, okay, no problems. Mike Cullen, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah, why not? <laughs> or Glenn versus Kearns if, if Kim McCudd are the ones who decide Could we go the whole way back and uh, Ty got beaten? Get to play in it. Ty got beaten yeah, in yeah. the... Uh, Kildare final so technically you know like King Ralph the whole situation hey we're, far we're back all to the club champions yeah yeah uh, it's going to be tainted either way isn't it at this stage uh, right it is 7.54 this morning uh, you can give us your views on this and uh, you have been doing so far um, here's what's coming up on the show we've got Keith Wood and Tom Shanklin going to preview Wales against Ireland uh, we have Tommy Walsh coming a little bit later on to talk about the return of the Hurling League Jilly Flaherty's going to look at the uh, transfers from the WSL um, we have deal or no deal with Phil Egan uh, assessing the transfer window as well but um, I don't know I think that like everybody has put themselves in it this is a little bit like the Banshees of Inishirin where their people are um, chiseling their own fingers off like <laughs> just play the game <laughs> it was effective though the, the chiseling off the fingers it wasn't well your man kept coming he <laughs> kept coming <laughs> and he couldn't play the fiddle anymore yeah true why would you not play the game? It's very graphic, wasn't it? Um, that's an interesting you way to seen put it. Oh, I have, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just starting to wonder what happened to them at the end, then. What happens after the credits stop rolling? The friendship I don't know. dissipates. Well, does he die of gangrene or something? Well, probably back back in those days. They had yeah. to sear it shut yeah. with the fire, the embers of the fire. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, who's who? Which one's... Colin Farrell has to be the dub, right? Oh, they're both dubs. Yeah, both dubs, yeah, yeah. Oh, but um, he's, a North, he's a Northsider, though, so he's ah, yeah, yeah, Glenn. Yeah. Bit of a split there, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because he's closer to the... I think Brendan Gleeson is a bit more of a dubs GEA man than Colin Farrell, though. You'd expect so. It's mm. an interesting, yeah, anecdote. Banshee Javinishirin versus Glennie Kilmacud. At least it's over, lads. That's, that's not over, but... Um, it's nowhere near over. It's Kilmacud's it's, decision now, isn't it? This, the this is the GEA's version of Saipan, right? Where it's, in 40 years' time, people are going to be talking about this going, I can't believe that happened. But I, I, and we're living in the middle of it. I and like, John Fogarty has a line about the CCCC, or somebody had a line about the CCCC, feeling like they were kind of left a little bit isolated and a lack of leadership from... The GA, and as far as I know, the leadership appoints the CCCC. So if that, if that's coming from them, it's like, lads, what are you doing? The point was made on the show last night that if Port Duffy had still been the director general of the GA, this would have been solved on the day. It's a great point by Declan Bog. I do, I do wonder though, because like it's very difficult. Um, you know, of course, he, 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 yeah, he's he's come to be the greatest GA administrator of well, all yeah. time. But like there was lots of stuff that Port Duffy tried to do that he couldn't get through mm. because like. 
But Tom Ryan, this isn't out of kilter with the approach that they've taken since he went into the job. It's that he keeps a very... Yeah, hands-off approach. Hands-off approach, low profile to things. Um, they've obviously decided that it's not for the president to come out and speak about this. Like, I do wonder if part of this is the fact that we are putting such a focus on certain parts of the season on the club game and the club game isn't ready for it. Like The club game is properly amateur. It's very local. It's very personal. So you can be critical of the dubs and it's a greater thing. You can be critical of... Whereas we had the same thing the week before with the Fossa game and Stewartstown. And you're arguing like, Stewartstown, this is junior football. (laughs) And now they're live on TV elbowing Paddy Clifford in the face. Like... (laughs) That's the sort of thing that for junior football is grand out on a Sunday when nobody can see it. But now we've given it this platform that, like, do you do you criticise that player to the extent you criticise an inter-county player when he's just rocking up on a Tuesday night for a bit of training and he didn't ask to be put in this position? Well, you know, uh, JD made that point too. But I, I think that, um, I think that you... You know, the elbow to the face is a fairly universal. Well, it's, <laughs> it's like I, 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 we, we, we can all quail in the face of that and go, I wouldn't like that. I don't think that's that's not kosher. What's the point of the role of GA president then? Is it a, is it a symbolic role with the Irish president? Listen, you stand up, can you do say anything? the name of the captain, and you move on. And you appoint you appoint the committees, so you're supposed to have like a, and you're supposed to you you, you run on the ba- you you run for election on the basis that you're going to be the figurehead that leads the organisation. Is that it? Just figurehead then over the next couple of years? Could but, you not have stepped in? Barry McCarthy. Well, I'm sure there's a power behind the scenes that maybe you don't publicly, or if you decide actually there is something here for the integrity of the game that you should publicly come out. But they are in a bit of a limbo in that they don't want the president speaking publicly on behalf of the association. And I'd love to hear from Kilmacud. Obviously, maybe they won't talk to us anymore, but I'd love to hear from them about why they think not playing the game is the right thing to do now and sending the cup up. It just seems a bit. It just seems wrong. It seems like uh, it seems like it's the wrong thing to do. That whole oh, we can't play, we won, it's over. The, the, you know, they had their chance. They didn't have their chance because you had sixteen men on the field to play. Mm. So once you start accepting the truth here that you have some responsibility for this, then you start to be able to fix the situation. And surely somebody, surely somebody in the club is going, why don't we just play the game? Let's play the game. And if they lose, they lose. But we'll have the biggest chip on our shoulders for all time. We'll go on a three. We'll win three out of the next four. Like. They're not going away. They're definitely not going away. But if they get into this situation where they send the cup up the road and they get fined, and it's like, what? what is the point of that? It's just a waste of time and money. <laughs> Every time we say this, send this cup up the road thing, I just have this image of the cup in the back of the taxi and the guardie giving a, a bit of a cortege all the way up. Oh, yeah, you can get behind o- that, like a ceremonial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. PSNI the entire clubhouse crosses the border. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's PSNI. Eight o'clock this morning. Shane, good stuff. Nate, sorry, you're staying. Are you staying? <laughs> no, I might as well I'm, stay. I'm gone. All right. <laughs> Nathan, good stuff. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. After the break, Keith Wood and Tom Shanklin are previewing Wales against Ireland. OTB AM. Let's turn our attention to the Six Nations. Uh, Warren Gatland against Ireland. This is very exciting. And I'm delighted to say, to help preview the game, two legends, Keith Wood and Tom Shanklin. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, Ger. How are you? I'm very good. Tom, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Um, around about this time every year, we would taunt Wales about how, you know, you're no good. But actually this year, I'm terrified of doing it because Warren Gatlin's picked a team that's really strong, loads of experience, just a nice little sprinkling, a sousan of youth. And, um, well, it's suddenly the ghosts of uh, Welsh beatings handed out to us over the last decade or so, randomly, is starting to haunt us a bit. Are you feeling confident? I wish I felt as confident as you. 
Um, I can't believe he taunted us that badly. <laughs> but more confident than I was last year because Warren Gatlin is back and he's got the ability to be able to get the best out of players. I think that's why he's so good. That's his um, USP is the ability to get the players to overperform. So slightly more confident than I was last year, but we're still going through a, a period where we're relying on a lot of old players. There's eight of the 23 which played in the 2012 Six Nations. So we still have a big reliance on a lot of the older guys. You know, you're talking mid-30 players, um, age group. So Ireland coming at uh, number one team in the world, slightly, slightly daunting because we know how good Ireland are at the moment until you guys reach a World Cup. Yeah. But... <laughs> It, it, the pressure is off us, which is good. The pressure is off us, which is good. We got a new twelve in Joe Hawkins, so it allowed Wales hopefully to play a little bit wider. But I am nervous. I won't lie to you, Keith. Were you um, were you rolling your eyes there at the pressure's off us, or was that a, just a? Yeah, a, a little bit. I love um, <laughs> I, I love and hate the sort of pre-match chat that kind of that happens with coaches and um, and. And Shanks, in fairness to him, is well able to sucker us into into a false sense of security. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it's funny. I just think it looks like history repeating itself in many respects. And um, if I went back to uh, disturbingly twenty three years ago, um, when Gatland, um, after the um, the World Cup in Lens, he stuck with the old stagers, pretty much all the old team. For the first game against England, and we got we got hockeyed, and then there was a huge raft of changes came in immediately after against Scotland, and that seemed to be the change that happened that the young blood got the opportunity. So, I think in many respects he's gone back to what he knows. He's gone back to a group of guys he trusts and who trust him. Um, I will agree with with Tom that he's he. He knows how to get the best out of Wales and the players are very confident with the style that he wants to play. It does look like a, a too old team for the first match of a year going into a World Cup um, and whether a lot of those guys will be there. But I, he also has an idea that people have to fight for the jersey so they're not giving it up too easily. Um, I, look, I would go into this not with nerves, um, but with a level of excitement in that Ireland are number one in the World Cup. We have consistently reacted poorly to that um, that title. Um, but um, I, look, we just have to go out and prove that we can play better than Wales can. And um, I don't know how much of an influence he can have. He will get them playing focused, but... I have to. I have to believe that Ireland have to have that confidence to back up their placing, to back up the skills that they have and the players that they have, um, and we're pretty much injury free for the most part. Um, look, I think it'll be a very tough game. We've lost there consistently over the last um, whatever it is, six or eight years. So, you know, for for me, it would be a grudge enough of a grudge match to make certain that Ireland bring their top game. Tom, the the. Um we did a, a good deep dive with the statistics yesterday with um, uh, a rugby analyst who was basically pointing out that Wales have been so far off it over the last year or so that actually to improve, all they all they really have to do to make a significant improvement would be to do the basics right. And that's one of the things that Gatland always gets right is like 
Uh, everybody knows exactly what their job is. Everybody fulfills the functions within that role. And if you don't, you, you come out of the team. But the certainty around what Gatlin will give the team and trying to do, I guess that's one of the reasons why he's gone back to the old stagers. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. He's a massive focus on set piece. And I think that's why he's picked six Ospreys in the pack against Ireland at the weekend. Uh, we saw what the Ospreys did to Montpellier home and away. We saw how good their scrum was against Leinster recently. And his game is based a lot around set piece. So you get a good scrum, then you've got the ability to attack off that. And as I said, we've got a new sort of dynamic backline, which is really good. We've gone away from having just a big ball carrying 12. You know, we've got a ball player there now. So a lot of moves and a, and a lot of attack now comes off the 12. You know, it's sort of 12 has been redefined in rugby, really, as, as their role. It's not just smash and bang and, and big hit. It's been having the ability to put people into space and to attack off 12. So I'm really excited about Joe Hawkins. And selection was big for me. And it was announced yesterday. It was done really early. Plenty of confidence behind it. And it was sort of saying, right, th- this is our team. And I think they're going to attack a little bit wider. I don't think we can outmuscle Ireland at the moment because of the, the big carriers you guys have got and, and the power you've got. And I think we have to be careful about where we attack. So I think, as I said, that the, the 12 position is key and, and that just gives us two ball players now so we can play a little bit wider. We've got a fairly mobile back row as well, um, which isn't really used to sort of pick and go in in the, in the tight. It's more of a, a dynamic um, back row, which will play a little bit wide, and, and you've got players like Tipperick, which and Falatau, which can play in those wide channels. So, for me, it makes sense to play wide. You know, it doesn't make sense to try and pick and go and to keep it tight against a team like Ireland. So, they're the exciting parts. Were you? Uh, but you need to get it right on the day. Were you surprised, Tom, by the Lee Halfpenny inclusion? I think it's the first start for him in in nineteen months. He gets the nod ahead of Liam Williams. You'd imagine to. I guess counteract that Irish kicking thread as well but did it come a little bit out of the blue? I was quite surprised with his selection I was quite surprised with Alan Wynne Jones' selection the problem we got at 15 is that there's no players coming through really there's um, Lee Halfpenny and Liam Williamson and they're the two players that basically Wales have got to rely on we've seen Josh Adams play a little bit of 15 recently and he could be he could hold down that, that position in time to come but Liam Williams hasn't played much recently. He's had concussion issues. He went off with a bad hand against Breve away in the Challenge Cup. So there'd be a, a limit to the amount of training that he would have done. Um, what you get with Lee Halfpenny, though, is just someone that's unbelievably solid. He's like a goalkeeper at the back. You know, he won't miss tackles. He won't drop balls. He'd be able to kick the ball um, out of defence accurately. Um, he's very low error count. But... I think you just you limit yourself slightly with that counter-attack ability. And I look at Ireland's counter-attack and someone like Hugo Keenan. He's a fantastic player and he's a threat everywhere when he's got ball in hand. So as much as it is good in defence to have Lee Halfpenny, I, I still think it, it just limits what we can do in attack slightly. Uh, Keith, the, the point is well made about Gatland naming his team early in the week you know it's going to be a rallying cry for the, the Welsh fans I haven't heard yet about the roof and what the story is with it but like the atmosphere would be absolutely incredible from an Ireland perspective we're very hungry to see what Ryan Baird can do in the team we're very hungry to see uh, how well any of the the players slightly below the top rank in the depth chart might do but the first week up in the Six Nations Andy Farrell's going to be true, it looks like, to 
how he has always picked and it's best team available for the game irrespective of long-term planning and it's worked for him so far you hope that it's going to work for us around the World Cup as Tom kindly points out again to us <laughs> so what, what would you do in this scenario is it best available 15 to start best available subs or is there any room for stick Ryan Baird in the team keep the rest of the team full and see what happens um, I, what I think has changed with with Farrell over the last period of time is that the manner in which you've laid that out, it kind of shows as if there's an element of risk involved in picking Ryan Baird or something like that. Um, I don't view Farrell's uh, mindset in that way. I think he picks the best team always. He picks the best um, guys to, to win the game. He makes certain that certain guys get rested at different times. And I think there are matches where, where that can happen. But he hasn't been shy in in dropping players in. I mean, I think there could be the opportunity of Jamie Osborne getting getting a run very early. Um, this sounds like a, re- a repeating loop, but Six Nations is about momentum. You want to get off to a win. If you don't get off to a win, you're you're struggling always. Um, confidence drops very quickly. Uh, so if you get a win at the start, everything works. It's whatever decisions he decides he wants to make in terms of that. So, um, I think he, he more than more than most, I think the IRFU have dealt with the idea that you earn your crust in the Six Nations, and that's something that's essential. And in terms of all the finances, all the sponsorship, everything that happens. This is a ludicrously huge business, um, huge competition. This is the one that you, you you drive the whole professional game in Ireland with. So you can't suddenly chop and change too much. But I think if you look at what's happened over the last last year in particular, I think he's made pretty decent decisions to, to bring players in and out. They've worked for the most part. Um, he is willing to have a go. I don't know that necessarily this is the game to do so. If you're Andy Farrell, Keith, just judging on what you're saying are you throwing Jimmy Osborne in from the start or is it a is it a Bundy Aki a more natural uh, traditional selection I was trying to make the case for Stuart McCluskey yesterday that that number 12 position is is one of the I guess the standout uh, question marks over the team this week look I look I really think it is I think um, uh, Robbie Henshaw is our our first number 12 and he's injured so who are the guys that are going to to take it up I think McCluskey um, has consistently played well for Ulster when he's played for Ireland, when he's got his chances, which have been few and far between. Um, it hasn't exactly gone his way and he hasn't got it in a full team. He did in the autumn. He did some very good stuff and then drifted a little, I think. Um, Bundy has been, hasn't played for a while, um, um, has been suspended and hasn't been picked then by Connacht. Um, Osborne got a chance and took a chance and looks really, really exciting. And But one player is not the same as changing five players. So if you think that this guy is a really big, viable alternative and has youth, gas and all the attributes that you want, yes, you can. It's not a huge risk to change one player. It's a huge risk to change six players. But to put one player in, I don't think it's a risk at all. And for me to take the opportunity that we have because of Robbie Henshaw's pretty bad uh, injury record, I think it would be great to have another player that might be the voter for the World Cup. So I, I wouldn't see it as a risk putting him in, this, in the team. 
Tom, the, the quality of, of rugby that you expect from Gatland, how, how quickly do you expect the turnaround to happen? Um, Keith's point about the uh, 23 years ago when we got absolutely annihilated by England. The next week, uh, we ended up picking uh, Stringer and O'Gara, uh, Easterby, Shane Horgan, and somebody else came in. Um, John Hayes. John Hayes, uh, all of whom went on to have between 80 and 100 caps and completely transformed the face of Irish rugby. Although, interestingly, uh, Gatland ended up, as he would say, getting stabbed in the back and, and wasn't allowed to take it to glory. In this situation, he's there for the long haul. Everybody knows he's going to be around for this World Cup and the next World Cup. So he needs to manage his resources very carefully. But if, if for example, things didn't go well, would you expect that there is a core of, of new players coming through who can affect what he wants to do quickly? I don't think there's a core of a big group of players coming through. I think we've got certain individuals that will come through. But this is a big worry in Wales. Like when Gatlin took over, he had a, a, the core of players that, and he had them for sort of 10, 12 years now. Um, we don't have the strength and depth coming through. There's certain individual players, but he's going to have to do it. It's going to be totally different to 2008 when he came in, when he had this group of players. Now he's got... A lot of the players that he's relied on, at some stage they will be retiring and he's going to have to blood new, uh, new uh, youngsters sorry, coming through. So it's very different for him. I think we'll see an instant impact in, uh, I think, the, the confident levels of players on the pitch, the energy levels of players on the pitch, the, the commitment that maybe we didn't see in the autumn, you know, losing to... Um, who did we lose? Lost to Australia, lost to Georgia. You know, we were really down and, and low on confidence. So I think he'll install that in players. But I think that's why he's had to pick a lot of old players now for this first test because he's he knows what they can do. He's confident in what they can do. Um, it's the World Cup around the corner. I think had it not been the World Cup this year, then he might have gone with a new look Welsh team, and he might have put players out of the pasture and brought some youngsters in. But because it is World Cup, he's having to go back to what he knows best, really. Um, but that isn't the future. At some stage, we're going to have to reshuffle, remould this Welsh team and we're going to have to bring youngsters in because these guys can't go forever. Um, Tom, there's been a lot made of the, the Netflix cameras and, and the, you know what they're doing inside each individual camp. And it seems to be some of the some of the countries are, are adapting to it uh, maybe easier than others and some players are adapting to it easier, easier than others I know the the union stand to make I think it's €113,000 each uh, for the first year this will air in, in 2024 as a player what what do you make of the whole thing Like, I think it was a four man crew following the Irish team around in the Algarve this week is it a distraction or, or, or is too much being made out of it I know Keith Wood would have loved it I think we can tell by the 97 Lions tour he'd been all over that and camera every shot I think it's I think it's great for the game. I watched the Drive to Survive, which they did on uh, on Netflix. I watched some of the other ones they've done um, behind the scenes at football stadiums and football teams, and I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great insight for people into professional game at the top level as well. It's about inspiring youngsters. It's about getting people interested in rugby. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to play rugby. Seeing those legends of the '97 Lions tour on that video, and I thought. That is what I want. I want some of that fun. I want to be sucking belly buttons in a, in a in a bar. I want to be having a few drinks after games. You want that camaraderie. And I think the the Netflix show will get that across. And I think it's about growing the game as well. So I can't see many people um, not wanting to do it. I think maybe some of the coaches might be 
slightly nervous about what they're going to show. But in terms of the camera crews following the, the players around, following the, the team meetings, I think it's massive and I think it's great for the game. I think it's the way forward. I think the reports in the in the paper, some of the papers this morning, Keith, suggest that seven or eight Irish players have already sat down for interviews with the Netflix crew. Reportedly, Keith Earls and Peter Mahoney amongst that group. Johnny Sexton maybe not as forthcoming with uh, with with time. Can you understand social media superstar Peter Mahoney? That is, yeah. Well, there you go. Like, can you, can you see why some players wouldn't want to go near any of this? Absolutely, but it's funny. I think if it grows the game, that's fantastic. I was actually surprised by the amount of money. It seemed to be very small. Um, uh, I would worry a little bit about editorial control. Um, The idea, Duncan, who was uh, the head of our crew in 97, him, him and his team were totally in the background, so they never asked you a question. In, in whatever it was in the six weeks we were on tour, it, it, there was no question asked directly of the players. Um, and they they kind of drifted into the background. You never really knew they were there. And they weren't, um, you know, it wasn't intrusive in any way, shape or form. What you don't actually want to do is have players change their behaviours because they have a camera on them. You know, the the sort of unintended consequence of, of, of being viewed will change something, you know. So, um, I, look, I think it can be great for the game because we're looking to try and make the game uh, bigger. But as always, you just want to make certain that it's all about the game and the game doesn't get affected by it. So, but I can understand why some guys don't want to do it. And, you know, if someone says, well, we want to interview me and they say, well, I don't want to, I'm concentrating on the game. That's their right too, you know. So, um, uh, and much contrary to, to, to Shanks's line, I was stunned by the, how much I was in that video in 97 for the very simple reason that. Slash delighted. <laughs> there was 170 hours of footage actually was cut down to that so um, my mother wasn't particularly happy because of my bad language but you know that happens too <laughs> the truth will out eventually Tom I guess the point about the people not wanting to be filmed is that there's always some clown in the corner with a camera and their phone live streaming or recording something for Instagram so um, they're probably quite aware of the fact that they're potentially being filmed sometimes accidentally by a teammate, as the Irish women's football team found out. Yeah, no, they will be. And Keith's right, you know, it, it is editorial control, really. But I look at all the bad PR going around rugby at the moment, and it's it's about encouraging youngsters to, to play rugby when they're young. So, you know, they, we don't lose them to the system. Um, there's all there's loads of issues with rugby at the moment. And I think this is a perfect way of, of trying to grow it and get people more excited by it. Um, there's always people that don't want to do media. There's always people that don't want to do interviews, whether it's in the week, whether it's post-game. You know, there's, there's shy people and, and there's extrovert people. So I think, like Keith said, the, the best way is, is just sort of blending into the background and trying to let people be themselves. You will have to be a little bit careful around um, the cameras. Like, you can't be showing all these WhatsApp messages, some videos going through with loud noises coming up. But there'd be there'd be a lot of fun in there as well. And there'll be a, a lot of a lot of banter and a lot of people trying to stitch each other up on camera and everything and, and be part of it because it's also a, a bit of a, a shop window to sell yourself as yeah. well because it's not just about rugby it's about what you do after rugby as well I think that's a, a key point we're, we're completely out of time here folks but um, I'm looking for predictions before we go Keith you sound confident that Ireland can go over and control the game and win 
Yeah, I, well, I, I am confident. Um, we have to prove it for every minute of the game, but I would hope and think that Ireland would win by 8 to 10. We would take that. Tom, what do you think is going to happen? I think um, Leinster and Bundyaki, sorry, Ireland <laughs> will come over and I think they'll they'll be too strong. They're too well drilled. They're too good in attack and defence. And I think I think it could be around 12 to 15 points Ireland win. I'm glad you made that Leinster and Bundyaki quip because if we make it, we get killed by the Munster fans. But uh, 12, 12 to 15 points, you're shithousing us here, Tom, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken the pressure off Wales, right? Because I don't really mean that, I think. No, I, I, I do. I think at the moment, I think where Ireland are and with Wales and, and new combinations, I think it's going to be a really tough ask to play such a, a quality team at the moment who are peaking. Well, we've uh, hopefully piqued the appetite of everybody watching this morning. Uh, Keith Wood, Tom Shanklin, great to have you with us, folks. Thanks a million. Cheers, gents. Thanks, everyone. It's, um, yeah, I think that's a good point about the possibility of new stars emerging and then they use the the Netflix cameras as a springboard for something mm. after rugby because like uh, no personalities that's one, the problem all of the teams are recording stuff yeah. internally anyway okay obviously the press officer has control and will show something to the team management player X did this thing it's quite funny it's going to go viral if we put it out can we put it out and they're like no no can't do that Mostly they'll be like, yeah, no problems. That's fine. And, and the sponsors are looking for content. So that all exists already. And they're used to being filmed. Uh, there was a line about how they're concerned about, um, they might say something derogatory about an opponent and it will be misconstrued. A bit like, ooh, Razzy Rasmus saying, ah, it's only the Irish lads, what do you? I mean, come on. They always yeah. miss. Remember that? Yeah, Jesus. Well, so I don't know. I mean, did, has, that, has that damaged Razzy? Don't think has, so, has that been the thing that you remember about Razzie? Well, we'll certainly remember it. I totally forgot about it until that um, this morning. <laughs> but there's talk that the, the the actual teams or the unions will be shown the footage before it's released. But then the question is, who has editorial control? Like, yeah, can they, they can show it to them? But no, can they actually? Yeah, yeah. So you'd wonder. But it, look, it's a good thing the the Formula One drivers, the twenty drivers in the grid, weren't known. You know, you, you could walk past eighteen of them in the shops, and you wouldn't have known who they were. Same with the team principals. Rugby players are probably more prominent within each country. But I think after this. It, it could take them to, to the next to the next level so I, I hope a few even the Simon Zebo phone call in the Lions group remember he made the phone call to asking to be made captain who did he make the call to but you know that, those sort of little moments where teams are having bonding sessions and there's a few jokes going around that's what you want to see you want to see them being themselves but as I think it was Keith said you want them not to be putting on a show it's, it's just them naturally the money isn't great compared to no. what you might expect Gets um, better year two, I think. Not much. You marginally know. better, yeah. Um, but the marketing possibilities, and I'm sure the fact that it's going to be on Netflix will be great for the various brands associated with the teams mm. who are on their training gear, who will all feel like, oh, we're actually, you know, this is worthwhile. So, look, uh, you can give us your view. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. It is 8.28 this morning, and OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to say Tommy Walsh is back because the hurling is back this weekend. Tommy, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Jared. Good morning, Shane. How excited are you about the return of the league? Is it is it like full bore? Yes, finally, intercounty action is back. Or are you like, ah... Not quite there. What are you? What's how? How high up is the Tommy Dial? Yeah, well, listen, it's the the joy of the the split season, I suppose, Jerry. We haven't seen championships since last July. Um, I was at Kilkenny played awfully in the the Welsh Cup over in Callan, full house over in Callan there, the first or second week of January. 
um, went over to Rat Downey then they were playing Leash in the next round nearly a full house again over Rat Downey now I missed the the, the, the the one under the lights and something else on on the Saturday night but you know a sold out game below for a Welsh Cup final 14,000 people in below in Wexford Park like it's I think it's really after working out so far listen this was reviewed year after year but the split season seems to be after work in regards you know encouraging people to go to the games encouraging people to follow the inner county the razzmatazz that's going with there was fireworks and everything down in Wexford Park so listen I think so far so good everyone's really excited you know you're fresh it's so long since you've seen these inner county guys like looking at the National League starting this weekend Ger, the six new managers uh, in the Lee McCarthy Cup as far as I can see like it, there's massive change there's two managers Wexford and Galway they're only in their second year so there's huge freshness in, in all counties there's huge eagerness to see what will the new managers bring to the game? So I think this this National League will all be able to find out about the managers as much as the players. I was definitely uh, of the view in, in recent years that the league had completely diminished in terms of responsibility and um, uh, or like uh, the, the bit where you could apply what you see in the league to championship later on for various reasons. But then because this is the first proper year of the shortened season, I do wonder if we need to maybe take more cognizance of the fact that if things go badly early it's much more difficult for you to get it back on track there's still some room for you to get it back on track and obviously Munster and Leinster Championship is all that matters when the end of the year that's what we'll be talking about but if if you don't start well it's going to be hard to recover yeah well I don't know do I agree with that Chair. Um, I, I would say maybe in past years before the round robin that may be the case like you say, you look at Watford and Cork, they were in last year's league final. And, um, you know, it didn't go too well for me in the summer, really. Like, Watford only won one game out there, round robin, after winning the league and winning it convincingly. Um, but what I do think is, it's all about finding players. Like, listen, I, I understand what you're saying. If you're going through a bad run, you've no players, I suppose, showing up their hands that pick me for a championship, then you're starting to get worried. Well, if you're only winning, losing the match be a pint or two, and you find a new corner forward, you find a new centre forward, two or three players, maybe that were out of form last year, suddenly building that, that rich vein of form or their confidence is back, their mojo is back. Well, then you're going places. So I think the league now is probably more important to find players and not necessarily win, but I agree with you on that point. Maybe, you know, your your form is maybe if you start off poorly, maybe it's going in the right direction up towards the top. But I don't think that if you have a bad start in the league, that'll have much of an impact on championship. Because there's two different groups. Like you look at the Division One, you have Antrim, Kenny, Tipperary, Leash, Clare, and Westmead. And towards the second the Division Two, you have Wexford, Galway, Cork, Limerick, Water, and Dublin, which you would see is probably a far more difficult group. Yeah. So it might be you know it might be easier to get a win and one you know and in Division Two you mightn't get as many wins. And uh, but if you're finding players, Jer, um, that's what it's all about. Come championship, because you see, um, you go back to maybe thousand and say the two thousands up to as far as probably 2014, 15, You could win an All Ireland from maybe May to September, playing four matches. Now you have to play probably five or six matches in, in five or six weeks. So the, 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 you know it has changed um, how you can treat this league. Like you know when we were winning leagues back in the two thousands. You could have six weeks off before the championship. So you could go, you know, full throttle for the league and you'd have six weeks back to the clubs for two or three weeks to freshen up and, you know, I suppose, regain that freshness that is needed for, for championship hurling. And 
when you know intensity is at its highest and the pressure is at its highest towards if you will say run off a, a big league now play five or six games you know especially in that division what division two um against all the top teams probably big huge crowds where i'd say will come to these matches the intensity will be unbelievable then you've only a week or two off before championship and you're not just going into a knockout year you're going into a full round robin again um just cast your mind back to Watford. What a brilliant end to the league they had, semi-final and final. You know, they were scoring goals, scoring points. They, they looked like they're, you know, probably people were saying at the time they were the best team in Ireland, even though Limerick were after doing, you know, uh, winning three All-Irelands in four years, they're after doing the two in a row. People were tipping Watford. They went out and had a kind of a shaking up start against Tipperary, although they won it in the, in the months around Robin. But then got beaten in a great match against Limerick. And then just the, the wheels came off the cart. So I, I do think more than ever, it's a time of, it's it's time for time in your run, really, more than anything. But at the same time, it's not like a light switch. You can't just turn up to this league and, and not try because you can't just switch it on come championship. But I think it is all about rotating around your players and finding players. Is there a sense of, that's certainly a good point, Tommy. Is there a sense though of of shadow boxing to a degree in the in the league? Because as you say, like in the provincial round robin era none of the league finalists that year have later played in the All-Ireland final. So clearly there's something there that, that teams that peak in the league that don't necessarily carry it on into the championship. Yeah, um, I would say, agree with your second point, it's definitely not about peaking in the league because it's just too intense. It's like nearly a Premier League now, like say if you have six or seven, get into the league final, you could have six, seven, eight matches, then go on and you have five or six in, in the round robin. That's 11 or 12 matches over a short period of time. So that's very, very intense and the ability to keep it going with, with, with the panels they have, because most teams will be probably picking, even though they have a panel of 30, I'd say more often than not, they'll be picking off probably 20 players really in and out for, 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 for those games. So I think it's very difficult to do that, to keep at, your, the, you know, the, at the top of your game for so long. So as opposed to shadow boxing, I just think it'll be a time for, if you play a player for two or three games, you give them a rest for a game or two, then bring them on again. So, Say, if you have 20 players in your mind to start come championship, you know, you might be playing so many of them together with some of the subs, then you switch it around. So they're kind of, you know, you don't play all the strong lads together in one match, then bring on all the subs, uh, Shane, in, in, in the next match, and then they get beat. I would say kind of mixing and matching, really. It's a brand new era for Kilkenny. What is the feeling like when you're at those matches in, in Callan? Um, what are people excited about? What are they a bit apprehensive about? What's the, the general vibe around the place? Yeah, I suppose sure. the big question is uh, right, Cody's got after so long. He won 11 All-Ireland Finals, uh, All-Ireland Championships. He won numerous Leinster Championships, numerous uh, Welsh Cups, like he, leagues. You know, he won it all. And this is a new era. Like you're talking about, you know, after Mikko went, after Alex Ferguson went, um, you know, after Jim Gavin went, like what's going to happen when these great managers leave? And, Listen, to Kenny, they're after putting a good guy in there, like uh, Derek Ling, Jerry, uh, like, you know, the saying in sport, like, uh, nice guys finish last. I never agreed with that. Um, I think they come in all shapes and forms. Like winners, they have characteristics that are probably common between them all. And one of them is, especially as a manager, that you can inspire players just to believe in that you want to be champions. Whether if that's in Ireland, that's when the Leinster Championship, a league in all Ireland. Um, it's to inspire the players that they believe maybe they could become from a junior club or an intermediate club that they're good enough to play um, at the top level the elite level of sport because this is as elite as, uh, as professional sport is now they're putting in so much time they're seven days a week now Jer. and Derek Ling has that and he's a huge work ethic I remember him as a player 
he, he was inspiring in a quiet way. A lovely fella, but would inspire it because he, he was a role model. You tried to follow his, 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 the way he carried himself. You know, like when he was starting off with Kilkenny, he wasn't the Derek Ling. Like he was only after starting to make the under-21 uh, team. And he really he was only starting on, on the road to where he became great uh, as regards to Kilkenny midfielders. And he had to sacrifice a lot, you know, career-wise. He was supposed to be up the country. He came back because he wanted to make the Kilkenny team. And uh, and he did it. So this guy is tough. This guy is a winner. He was a selector with Kilkenny when they won all Irons in 14 and 15. He was a manager of his own club, the Emeralds, when they won another 21 championship probably 10 or 12 years ago. He was manager of the Kilkenny under-20 under 20 team last year that won the All-Ireland. And after losing, I suppose, the year before and possibly the year before that. So he's made a tough stuff, this guy. And um, I think that's what is needed coming in because... You know, the aftermath of, of Brian Cody and all that. Does he have the players? Yeah, I think he does. You know, he'll have seven or eight Bally Hale lads come back into into play. Keen Kenny had a great year last year. I was watching him over in, in Callan and again in um in Rat Downey. I think actually I think it was just Rat Downey he was playing. He's gone huge. He's a small guy. Mickey Comfort is the strength and conditioning guy there, Jared, at the moment, and he's putting in huge work the last couple of years. The guys are gone, you know, and you have to buy into the modern game. These guys are gone huge. Graf putting in, putting on kilos of, of muscle. Paddy Deegan, Park, like young and old, they're all doing it. They're all after buying into it. And uh, Mickey Comfort is, is key to that. And they do have players like Billy Trenton is coming from that under-21 team. Garod Dunn, um, you know, young Mile in the Borough. Borough have a few lads in the backs, big strong town club here in town and a lot of strong players that have a lot of underage success. So, yeah, listen, it's exciting times and huge crowds all their matches so far. And what I like about the Welsh Cup this year was, you know, in previous years, they might be playing the under-21 team or the under-20 team. And, you know, it's much more difficult for a lad to, to pop his hand. But when you're mixing in the young lad with the guy that has all the experience, the Killian Buckleys and the Hugh Lawlers, the Mikey Butlers, then they have a better chance because they're only kind of filling in a gap. They might get a pass and drive it down the field or score a few points, but they're not the main fellas. So I think the, the, the league hopefully will be much the same, a mix of... of Experience with with youth. No, I was going to say the the uh, the return of Davy Fitz is another one that's kind of got us talking, Tommy. And anytime Davy Fitz opens his mouth, we all listen. Um, yeah. th- there was an interesting one at the weekend, like Central Council voting against the Marifornia, uh, the return of the Marifornia onto the pitch, and uh, delegates voted against it. Davy has already spoken out against this. Um, he was saying it's a missed opportunity; doesn't reflect management's need to speak to players during games. Does he have a point? I suppose when Davy Fitz talks. As I say, we're all we're all there to hear what he has to say. Yeah, uh, so Shane, he the reason people listen is because he has won so much. You know, mm. like he, you know, he was in Clare, he won an All Ireland, won a National League. He was in Watford previously ten years ago, and he say from 2008 to 2011, he won Munster championships. Like this guy, Six Mile Bridge, he has won club championships. Like, and what he has done below in Wexford, you know, is incredible. Um, like you remember, Wexford Hurling was on its, was on the floor, you know, maybe ten or ten years ago or that. Liam Dunn came in, and Liam Dunn was probably one of the single most important um, people that was put into a job down Wexford when he was implemented as the manager. Because Liam Dunn, as a player, had a phenomenal work ethic. He was a tough man. He was a, a guy that loved the game. He was from a great club in Alarcabala. When uh, you know. I'd say they won their first championship in 94, but it wasn't the Leinster club championship that year, but I think that was around their first, but Howler de Bella became a great club in Wexford Hurling after that. But he came from 
you know, I love of Wexford, I love of Hurling, to put in a foundation, Wexford, that, listen, lads, Hurling needs to be number one in your life here. You know, you go on holidays, you go to American holidays, this comes two and three. Hurling has to be one if, if you want to be on this panel. And he put in a foundation of Wexford Hurling that was absolutely instrumental for when Davy Fitz came. And Davy brought the razzmatazz, Davy brought the enthusiasm, the excitement. And I thought the legacy that Davy left in Wexford, he won the, cha- the Leinster Championship, was it against Kilkenny? It was 60,000 at that Leinster final. Yeah. No, huge numbers. And um, the legacy he has left, I thought, was seen in the Welsh Cup final. A sold-out Welsh Cup final between Wexford and Kilkenny. 14,000 people in Wexford Park. And Davy, you know, had had a huge, a huge part to play in all of that because the, the coaching that's going in in schools down in, in Wexford at the moment, in the clubs, they're putting in an unbelievable effort. And um, that's why people listen to Davy because he does bring huge interest, huge enthusiasm, no matter where he goes. He's back in Watford now. He's already said it, Shane, that they haven't, that they won, they played 12 round robin. I know they got to the All Ireland final there two years ago. That was during COVID. It was the knockout championship. But during the, the round robin Munster championship, where they played 12 games, they've only won one. So his ambition is supposed to change all that. And um, I think to get with Munster will be his main aim this year uh, as a, a building block, I suppose, for the future. Mayor Foran is then saying, See, the, the, the most difficult thing at the moment is um, you can't hear anything. The crowds are so big at these games, especially when you come to the latter stages of the, the league and championship when the grounds are full. Very hard to, to you know, I suppose, tell players anything. And, um, you know, you've seen what happened. This wasn't the, the club final with Kilmacud and, and um, you know, the Glen. Possibly if there was the Mayor Forney in, you know, he would have been able to tell lads that you're on and you're off. Because I know myself coming on the cl- club last year as a sub, like, it is mayhem, you know. You're coming on and the lad coming on isn't really listening to him because he's so excited to come on. He just wants to score or get the ball. And the lad coming off probably is disappointed. He's in no mood to go around giving instructions and where lads are playing. So, no, maybe he has a point to play that and where Forner should be still there. And I, but on the GA's defence, I have to say, the reason they probably got rid of the Mayor Forner was there was lads, weren't they, sta- especially in the football, they were standing out in positions <laughs> yeah. trying to cut off pace and that. So... <laughs> They probably deserve some honesty from the, the the team and the players as well. So, you know, it's a hard one, all right. Mm. Um, uh, we'll talk about Limerick over the course of the season. Obviously, lots to talk about. Um, they've had some addition, they've had some subtraction so far, at least for the league. Anyway, we we see how that all plays out. But what about Liam Cahill at tip? Because it didn't end brilliantly at Waterford, given that we were all saying that they were genuine All Ireland contenders after the league last year. And yet here he is back in the job that many felt like he should have had earlier. So, you know, what's for you won't pass you. Uh, is this the right time, the right man at the right moment? Yeah, well, see, what all these managers will always tell you is when 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 it co- when when it comes, it's hard. It's hard to. Um, can you hear me there? We can. Sorry, yeah, we're still here. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. So when 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 it do, the calling does come, Jer, it's hard to turn it down. Like if he just turns it down now, does he is he guaranteed to get it again in four or five years time? Maybe when these young lads are, you know, twenty six, twenty seven. You know, you, you just don't know. So you nearly have to take it when, when the chance comes along. I think we sell Tipperary in a transitional period. Um, like you know, you have Noel McGrath, John McGrath, you have you know Ronan Marr. You have Cottle Barrett. So all these guys are coming to the latter stages of their career. Seamus Callan. And then, but they're still probably the main fellas on that team. 
towards you need the young fellas really to 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 stand up and be your number three, your number six, your number eleven, number fourteen. And them guys still have to prove themselves and they have to probably show up and you'd be hoping in this league maybe Liam Cal, like he will have the confidence in these players. Because I suppose when Liam Sheedy was there beforehand, Liam Sheedy had the confidence in the class of 2010 because they had won the championship for him, the All-Ireland. They again won the All-Ireland in his first year back. So how was he to turn his back on them players that have never let him down? And so he's kept faith with all of those players from 2010. For Liam Cal, you would imagine, he's won All-Irelands under 20 and under 21. He's won minor All-Irelands with a different group of temporary players. So you'd imagine he will have faith and he will know the strengths and the weaknesses of them players and he will probably try to put them into in, in, into big roles. I see Michael Breen in the Welsh Cup has already gone back, corner back. He spent most of his underage career in the backs. You know, so it will be interesting. Like, I was looking at their team for the Munster League. Not a lot of their players, their names jumped out at me that I knew them straight away. So over this league, I suppose, we will learn a lot more about Tipperary. We didn't even mention Owen Kelly as part of the backroom team at uh, Waterford with Davy. There's a lot of subplots for us to get stuck yeah. into this weekend. Looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. Yeah, and uh, you know, that would be... It's probably not as bad when you're a coach. Um, you're probably more in the background. But it, it, like over in the Premier League and in, 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 in football now, you have to go off and do your badges. And it's gone so professional. Like It's not just about turn up and you choose night, Thursday night, do two or three drills and play a match and then pick your t- team on the back of a fag box that Friday evening. <laughs> like, them, day, them days are gone. Like, and Owen Kelly going to Watford, Henry going to, to Galway, Neil Dunn, who, you know, he was in Tipperary before he was in Galway to win the All-Ireland in, in 2017. He was with Tipperary for two years with Eamon O'Shea. Um, Davy Fitz went to Watford before going back to Clare to win his All-Ireland. Like, it's nearly like your coaching badge, Ger, where you have to go off and learn how to deal with physios, how to deal with, you know, dietitians, how to deal with the doctors, how to deal with the players. Like, you, you know, you can't turn up and just be a dictator to these players anymore. There's so much going on in their lives other than that. They've careers, um, you know, and the family life. And so there's so much to learn in the job now. I think the, the likes of Owen going to Bar, it, 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 it's just, it's a learning curve, really, you know, and they're trying to, I suppose, learn the trade really before maybe to come back home and uh, you know take on the big job yeah it's really fascinating like uh, all those we didn't even talk about those like uh, that's why that's why these games I, I know I, I get the point you're making that it's actually about making sure at the end of the league you feel like you've got a panel ready to do battle in the provincial championships but uh it does feel like there's going to be big stories coming out of this and how teams respond to those. Like, Limerick were, were narky through the league last year and they talked about it. You know, they, they were definitely getting sucked into battles and I think they, they definitely learned from that over the course of the rest of the year. But maybe it was just because they weren't fully fit and they were getting caught in a way that later on in the year they didn't. So, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's, it's hugely exciting. You know, Limerick last year, sure, everyone was questioning their credentials, whether they the hunger to, to come back or the, the discipline to come back and, and do the three in a row and they answered it emphatically like you know and it's going to be interesting like they're going to have Limerick are going to have to find players there I think to like so they're they're a great team now but now they want to go to the top of the pile with the Kerry team the football team of the, the, the late 70s and 80s the Kilkenny team of the 2000s the Dublin football team, you know, the Manchester United, these team teams, the New England Patriots, that are around forever, winning championships, you know, over a course of 10, 12 years. 
But to do that, you remember Jim Gavin when he was at Dublin, like Bernard Rogan, he would have made every team in the country at the time was a sub. Um, you know, did all these players with strings of all Ireland medals, subs on their team at the latter stages, because Jim Gavin knew that to win an All-Ireland, he had to keep freshening up, to keep it going long-term. He had to keep bringing in new young players. Like Conal Callan, he wasn't around at the start. Because Kieran Kilkenny probably wasn't at the start with Pat Gilroy's team. But came along then and drove it to new heights again. And I think for this Limerick team, like they've won now four All-Irelands in five years. But, you know, much the same team. I think they're 13 of the team last year in the 2022 All-Ireland final that started the 2018 All-Ireland final. So... These guys have been on the road a long, long time. And I think if they want to drive it on for another couple of years, three or four years, um, they, they will have to find new players that they can... They don't have to find five new players, but even one or two new players that they can put in on the team that, you know, suddenly it just keeps it going, keeps it going. Because as that team gets older, they're putting in huge effort, there's huge work going in the gym, there's huge mileage going on the clock. So that can't go on forever. Yeah. And the only way that it can go on forever is when you have new blood. Yeah. Who's going to be there? TJ Reid or Walter Walsh? Tommy, great to have you back. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Best luck. That's uh, Tommy there giving us some thoughts ahead of the weekend return of the Allianz Hurling League. I was really interested to read uh, John Fogarty talking yesterday about the traditional Guard of Honour and how it's been got rid of. So the it, it was a pre-COVID thing, but when COVID start, started, it, it hasn't happened. So the, the thought that... Cork might give Limerick a guard of honour in Parky Cueve this weekend. It's, it's not there anymore. Like, Donegal didn't give Kerry a guard of honour last weekend. Even a couple of years ago, Dublin came to Monaghan for the first round of the league in Clonus, and Monaghan didn't give them guard of honour, beat them. That was uh, that was the done thing. The first game of the league, the All-Ireland Champions always got a guard of honour. It's it's gone. It used to be like three weeks later after the All-Ireland. Yeah, yeah. I so, suppose when it was a quick turnaround. But then again, I don't know, maybe, maybe we... Oh, no respect for the All-Ireland Champions. Russia progress. We... Throw away all the good things. Like Kim McCode getting a guard of honour next year in their yeah, first club game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen the doing that, all right. Yeah. 8.50 this morning. If you want to get involved, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream and OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Kathy McNamee is with us. We're going to speak with Gilly Flaherty in a moment. Kathy, we wanted to talk about the WSL transfer window. We were hoping... I mean, maybe if you're an Arsenal fan, you're not hoping, but we were hoping that Katie McCabe <laughs> might get a move. It didn't happen. Uh, yeah, that was a very stressful 24 hours in Kathleen's life. I, it went from Katie McCabe might be leaving Arsenal to we might be signing Alessio Russo. And I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel like this. Throw an Arsenal signing clip in Jorginho in the middle of it all as well. And it was just, it was a roller coaster. Um, I don't think that Katie leaving Arsenal is necessarily to go to Chelsea is a great move and I'm not just saying that as someone who supports the club I think Chelsea is an interesting squad it's very packed already she admittedly she hasn't been playing as much at Arsenal the last couple of games and I don't know was this like a little bit of a shot in the arm to Jonas Edeval saying you know <laughs> I, I could leave and then you are very much struggling but uh, even the money that was being talked about like I think she's worth a lot more than that and could have gone for a lot more than that so if you listen to this week's episode of Koi Gig, Emma Byrne did a bit of sleuthing and it seemed to be that it was never really on the cards, that maybe there was a bit of, you know, a bit of chat and a bit of questioning over it, but I don't think it was actually going to happen. Chelsea mind games? Possibly, but I mean, like, you're not going to sell Katie McCabe to Chelsea either. Like, it's the same reason why United didn't sell Alessia Russo to Arsenal. You're given one of your best players, one of the top players in the league, one of the most consistent performers 
to want like your arch rivals. It just wouldn't make any sense whatsoever, especially with the amount of injuries that Arsenal have at the moment and the fact that the squad isn't that deep compared to Chelsea. Like Chelsea could easily put out two starting teams and they would be fairly like high performing teams. Arsenal don't have that sort of resources, so it would have been a very strange move from them, especially the fact there's still a year and a half left on her contract. You know, it's not like she has six months left and maybe they're trying to cash in or something. Um, so, yeah, I think it was something that was just kind of questioned, but she, she's there for the time being, and hopefully this does mean more playing time for her. All right, Jilly Flaherty is with us. Jilly, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. We were talking about Katie McCabe there. What was your take on that whole... Uh, Mm, what are we uh, saga is it, it has it reached it hasn't quite reached saga stage yet but it's getting there yeah I mean it was it was released uh, quite late um, about like half ten I think Saturday night so we, uh, we I spoke about it on a podcast I do on a Monday and it was just obviously a lot of us were ready to go to bed if not people out partying and they get this news in um, and it was just out of the blue completely I know um Obviously, Katie's still got 18 months left of her contract. Um, but it's just, I know uh, a left left back, left wing back is something that uh, Chelsea have really struggled to replace. Um, I think since losing Claire Raffi when um, she retired a few years back, I don't think that they've ever really had an, an um, left wing back, if that makes sense, or a left back. I mean, they've got Magda Eriksson at the moment playing there. Who's she's not a natural left back. Um, she's a centre back doing a job, and obviously then you've got Jess Carter and Neve Charles both switching flanks. Who neither um, are left backs either, like left footed. So yeah, I think uh, obviously they probably highlighted Katie as a, a target in that sense because obviously of what she offers. But yeah, obviously I think we've still eighteen months left to go, um, and it was just so random. I think how close it was to the end of the transfer window closing just to to come out of the blue normally in women's football you have a little bit of a hearsay a little whispers happening beforehand but no one had heard anything except just this random (laughs) um launch on a saturday night it did seem like one of the more random transfer windows that i've ever experienced even the alessio russo to arsenal links like that came quite late on in the transfer window as well the beth england deal initially i think that surprised everyone you know even just the amount of money that she went for do you think it's shown a bit of a, I don't know, it feels like there's been a bit of a culture shift in women's transfers and it's been slowly building, but it seems to be this transfer window, it's really coming to the fore? Yeah, no, massively. And I think I was on Sky Sports News yesterday doing deadline day um, for two hours. And obviously it was just even there as a, a former player now sitting there and having the WSL spoken about on Sky Sports deadline day, um, and the figures that are being thrown around for obviously Alessia Russo, like I never in my wildest dreams thought that would happen whilst I was still even involved in football. Um, and again, I think in regards to the Beth England one, I think a lot of people knew she had to leave in regards to obviously the World Cup coming up. Um, she needed to get minutes. I didn't think that fee would have been linked to Beth though, in all honesty. Not that I don't think she wants it, but I just think... Obviously, we're talking about the likes of Peniel Harder coming in for around about the similar figure and obviously Sam Kerr and I just never... It's nice to see an English player being linked to that um, that amount. So, obviously, yeah, I think I think that signing had to happen. I just didn't think 
the fee that would come with it would link with it. But I think obviously the other, like Jordan Nobbs, who left Arsenal, needed to play minutes. Obviously, a lot of these girls are seeing the World Cup coming up. Um, I know that they have to, especially with England and Serena, they know that they have to be playing to be in contention. So, yeah, but it's, it's fantastic for the women's game um, to see the prices being thrown around that they was because, in all honesty, five years ago, you, ten years ago, you would, would have dreamed of something like that. Uh, so uh, the Alessia Russo deal didn't happen in the end, but there was, again, it, strong reporting that two world record bids were made for her. What do you know about that? And um, should we just expect these clubs to start selling players to each other in a way that hasn't happened previously, but actually because this is, you know, because there's so much money in the league that there's not really many other markets for them to shop in. So that's just the way of it now. Yeah, like we was, I was sitting talking about it last night and I just said it's a, it's a catch-22 situation really for Man United because they could, obviously Alessia's out of contract in six months' time, so um, they could lose her for free. So they've, they've had offers of contracts and they've had negotiations and they haven't got anywhere. So they, I know they're, they're probably hoping to keep hold of her to get into Champions League this year, which is obviously something that they've targeted the last few seasons and fell short. Um, obviously they're doing, they're doing really well at the moment in the league. Um, and obviously unless that drastically happens, it'd be tough for them to mo- lose out on Champions League. Um, but you're being offered, I heard that the final figure was around 500,000 mark for a player. Um, you're, you're taking the risk that you're hoping and banking on that use qualifying for Champions League is going to be enough to keep Lesia. If not, and she does go, then you've got to really take the hit of the 500,000, but, then probably hoping that with getting into Champions League, that that's a big enough attraction to bring players in if Alessia does go. Um, so I think it's a difficult one for Man United. I've said yesterday on Sky that me as a player, if I'm in that dressing room and we're going for Champions League and we're, we're at the top of the table and we're having a fantastic season and the club then go and sell our number one striker, for me, I'm looking at that and thinking, well, what's your, what's your ambitions? If, if this is where we're at now and you still would consider selling her, you either got to bring in a replacement or you're just telling us really that you're not really, you're hoping that what we've done is enough and that not saying that Man, the rest of the Man United players aren't good enough to get him into the Champions League, but Alessia Russo is their number nine. You know, she's their main player. Um, so yeah, so, but uh, again, the link of 500,000 to an English player as well. And I just said, I don't know why. Another top English player, a club would sell to another club. Obviously, Man United sell Lesia Russo to a direct rival of Arsenal. They're Arsenal obviously blame at the moment, but they're battling in with each other. So are you basically just feeding another team to be successful. But I think obviously the difficult point yesterday was the fact of Alessia's only got six months left of her contract. It, it is more awkward as well, Julie, mid-season. Like in January, I know yourself and uh, Kitty Chapman moved, moved from Arsenal to Chelsea in, in January, I think it was as well. But it makes it more awkward for the big clubs when you're selling right in the middle of a season, especially when you're when you're going for the title against that club. Yeah, and obviously when me and uh, Katie left, obviously we was in a different league. So mm. we went in the January, but obviously we was in the summer league. So I, I personally would never, I find that quite hard to leave a club, I think, um, mid-season anyway. Um, but yeah, it is. It's like, it's, it's normally the Jan- January transfer window is really quiet for women's football. Um, I said normally... In this window, you'll get a lot of free contracts um, or free agents. Like you get a lot of players from the Scandinavian league come over because 
they're out of season. Um, so it's their end of season. And then you'll tend to get American players come over because the NWSL is just starting back up now. But that ends at the end of the, obviously, like October, November time. So then normally players who are coming in in January get through then. Um, so normally you don't rarely see really an English player to another English or an English club, pl- club sell to another English club. Um, but obviously there's been quite a lot of movement this window. And I just think it's exciting for the women's game. Like obviously we know that there's going to be a lot of transfers that happen at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I think obviously for it to happen in January and, and the men's football have it, the buzz and that of the, the January transfer window. And it was, uh, yeah, it was nice to be a part of it yesterday, um, with the women. Yeah, I was away for the last couple of days and like not checking my phone or Twitter or anything for all the final deadlines, which is why some of these like the Russo McCabe ones came like such a shock to me. But it was so nice. I was sitting in a pub and like Sky Sports deadline day was on and I could just follow everything that was happening. Like that was how I was being updated by the about the transfers. And like whenever the Russo thing fell through, it went with like a big breaking news and it was just so nice being like, ah, oh, this is the normal now. It doesn't actually make a big difference. You know, we can report on these things equally and it's not taken away from either side. And even having people like yourself on it as well, Jilly, it was great. For you, what was the smartest signing of this transfer window? Like, I think Aston Villa have done particularly well with some of the signings they've brought in. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think Aston Villa, I think with obviously um, Stanley Forth coming in and Jordan Nobbs, um, obviously you're looking at that midfield with them two and Kenza Daly. Um, and I think you're looking at their results, obviously, with a, a great draw against Man City. Um, and I think, I wouldn't say the pressure's on them there to get further up the table, but obviously the last couple of seasons they've finished a lot lower and still made decent signings. I think now, obviously, as the season goes on this season and going to next, there's going to be real pressure on them to, to move up, for, up the table with the signings that they've got. Um, but I think Tottenham as well, Tottenham obviously getting Beth England, um, Iwabuchi as well, a fantastic midfielder. Um, again, two great signings. For me, with Tottenham, no, I worry more defensively. Um, I don't, that's how, not that I say I don't think their defence is good enough, but I just think sometimes teams want to strengthen to move further up the table and sign forwards and sign midfielders, but don't necessarily look at their back line um, and strengthening that. So, yeah, I think obviously that side, I think obviously Liverpool getting Tash Dowie yesterday on loan. Um, I know obviously playing there previously that they've got a great setup and a great team, but it's just obviously the goals and the creating the chances that have let them down. So, I think obviously Tash going there, you know, she's a proven goal scorer at this level. Um, and I think she'll be a huge help in pushing them further up the table. The Liverpool stuff is very interesting as well, Jilly. Uh, Leanne Kiernan's injury, uh, notwithstanding, that's something like, I guess we're keeping a, a close eye on uh, over here. Um, you would have played alongside Neve Fahey as well. She probably one of the more marketable Irish players at the moment. And the fact that she's the Liverpool captain, you, like, what, what would she like to play against? What are the biggest strengths in her game that, uh, that you would have known from playing with her? Uh, both of them two are great girls. Um, but yeah, Neve, obviously I played with Neve at Arsenal when we was there. Um, I then played with her at Chelsea. Um, and then yeah, to go back and play alongside her for the last six to eight months, like she's just, uh, I'd say she never ages. Like she's, um, <laughs> she's just such a, a senior pro and she just does the good things well. You know, she's not, I think obviously she understands coming back up to this league, the, the quickness of it, the, 
the way the league has changed, obviously since being down in the championship with Liverpool, but she's just so clever. She's in the right places at the right time. She keeps it simple. She leads the team well. Um, centre forwards um, can't cope with it because she gets so tight to them and don't give them the respect and let them turn. Um, and that's that's what you want. But yeah, fantastic girl. And obviously Leanne Kidd, and I know she's had a little bit of a setback. Um but again, she's going to be huge both for Liverpool and for Ireland going forward. So the quicker she can get herself sorted and get back onto the pitch, the better it will be for everybody. We're here in February for that. Is that right? Is that what you're hearing? Yeah. That would be good. I think so. Plenty of time to bang in some goals and advance the World Cup. Mm. And yeah, just get up to match fitness again as well, which would be great. Um, Sorry, go on, Cathy. No, I was just going to ask you, Julie, um a little bit about, we obviously saw yesterday that Liverpool are interested in buying back Melwood after selling it in the first place. And I know Matt Beard has talked a lot about, you know, there was some questions over why the women didn't just join in on the new men's training ground. But he said very specifically that they wanted somewhere separate, especially so that they could house academy and under 21 players. What do you think about the the way it's progressing? I think he said like 2023, end of 2023 was kind of around the time that they were hoping to have something set in place specifically for the women. Yeah, I mean, when I saw, um, I saw it because Jamie Carragher tweeted about it, but I just thought, I didn't know if it was just him having a laugh or if it was genuine because obviously there was no real thing about Liverpool men in the, in the transfer window. So I thought he was just putting it out there to go as a bit of a banter. Do you know what I mean? So... Then obviously then when Liverpool done a statement on it and that, then obviously then I realised it was actually legit. But yeah, I think the women deserve their own place, you know. Um, they're obviously they're currently sharing with Tranmere um, at the moment. But I know that the vision of the club and they they want their own place. They want a place to call home. Um, and again, I think the good thing is with Liverpool is that they're not just in it for the short term. Obviously, I think Liverpool men have learned from obviously previously when... Liverpool women got relegated and they were saying that there weren't much support for the women's team and obviously Klopp come out about it and, and Liverpool then um, obviously got back behind the women and, and really supported them. And obviously just in my short time there, the, the support was fantastic and anything that I needed personally, I had um, I had access to. So, yeah, I think for the club, they obviously have a long-term vision. It's not that they're thinking they're going to come up to the WSL and... And that be it and see you later, get on with it. There is a real term, long term vision there to, to build their own place. Um, they're, they're really big on the academy and the youngsters and the beardy especially wants to be a manager that brings a lot of young players through. Obviously, you've got like Hannah Silcox, Silcox there. You've got Zara Shaw coming through. Um, who's a 16 year old playing way above her ages. Um, so they're really big on youth, which I think is fantastic. And you're looking at, obviously, the other clubs in the league, a lot of them have their youngsters coming through and there's no reason why Liverpool can't do the same. But again, as a professional outlet now, um, things that might have been able to get away with before or standards that they might have been able to have before, that's not the case now, you know. And there's so much, I think, scope inside the women's game. Obviously, you're looking at, like, last season when... Birmingham players come out about the standard that they had at their training ground and the facilities and what they got offered. Like players won't stand for it anymore and they won't accept it. Um, and so, yeah, but I think it's exciting for Liverpool women. I know there's been a bit of delay and I was hoping for it to be sorted. Um, but I think they come across a few complications. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic news and hopefully sooner rather than later. Julie, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers.
Thank you. It's Jilly Flaherty there giving us some thoughts on the uh, WSL transfer window and the latest episode of Koi Gig is available now. It sure is. All right. I'm not there though, so it's not as good. <laughs> oh, no, no. Shots Alana Kanan stepped pew. in, did Whoa. a great job. There was still a Sligo person. There's no at the I in team, so. Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This week's well. episode of uh, Koi Gig, good solid 5 out of 10. Next week it'll be back to the uh, usual 10 out of 10 uh, with Kathleen. Eight minutes past nine this morning here on OTBAM. Uh, here's what's on Sports Radio for you today. Uh, Chris Waddle is OTB Gold at one o'clock. Koi Gig at three. The um, subpar version. Mm. Our retro panel is Hearts in Holland and Kenny Cunningham. Uh, gold at uh, four and more gold at six with Paul McGrath. After the break, we've got John Duggan in the studio. OTB AM. Ten minutes past nine. John Duggan is with us this morning. John, how are you? Good, Shane. And uh, Jer, how's the form, Jer? Yeah, pretty good. I'd have a think there. But you could have said Nathan. You could have it, said it's Joe. Could, yeah, it's, uh, that's a four fifteen start. When you have the um, the, fir- <laughs> the first four fifteen start of the week is always uh, an absolute sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were calling. What were you calling? You were calling someone, someone, something else. You were uh, calling Adrian, Nathan, or vice versa. One of the days, yeah. Which is it can happen. It can happen. We got there. We got cool, there. In the cool end. story, bro. <laughs> we got there in the end. Yeah, it's old age, I think, lads. It, it is. Hasn't happened to me just yet, but yeah. You know, welcome to your forties. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, so what's going on this morning? Matt Darty gone to Atletico on a permanent deal. And uh, Pedro Paro joining Spurs from Sporting Club de Portugal. As Matt Darty played, what, one third of the matches uh, from a, as a starter for Spurs in the Premier League this season. Conte obviously didn't fancy him if Emerson Royale is still at the club. Um, and this is a chance now for Matt Darty to. Uh, well, he's only got a, there until the end of the season, but to, to get some first-team football. It's an incredible life story. Like, you, you know, you're going to work for one of the most charismatic managers in world football, and you're going to learn a lot. And if, maybe he wants to be a manager in, in the future. Maybe he doesn't. It never, you know, I, I've never heard him talk about what comes next after football. But um, as Dan, I think, was making the point in the Indo today, it's like you're suddenly on that carousel where the rest of Europe, like... It's not anything is on the cards now. Once you've been at Spurs and Atletico Madrid, you could fetch up at AC Milan. You could fetch up uh, in Germany. You could fetch up in Paris. Well, the like, help is when you've got Jorge Mendes as your agent or his company. Uh, that definitely is a help in that regard. Um, I do though feel that, like if you look at how Kieran Trippier progressed from going to Atletico Madrid after leaving Spurs, and now he's one of the best players in the Premier League this season. So there's definitely potential there. There's always rumours as well about Simeone maybe leaving him this summer. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens to Matt Doherty. I thought he was fine. It was fine. His tenure at Spurs, you know, it's fine. Um, didn't, like, you know, spark the, the world. But look, uh, he's got a chance now. And I, I think the key thing for Stephen Kenny is that he's playing first-team football. And uh, will he? Uh, is, is it the sexiest Irish uh, transfer abroad since Liam Brady? Robbie Keane. Oh, maybe, yeah, sorry. Keane got to enter as a 17-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just one of those we love to see the little Irish flag beside the... Oh, yeah. Or in, even on the back of the match programmes. You'll have Atletico Madrid as one of the Irish clubs. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's different. I like it. I used to like Levante and Levante on the back of the programmes when Ian Hart was there, but it just adds a spice. He's played under some top managers. When you think of the list of managers that Matt Doherty would have played under now. And Roy Keane is an assistant, of course, as well. So. Nuno Espirito, that? Yeah. Yeah. Some um, big characters. Chelsea has spent 323... Point three million pounds on transfers in January alone. How does that make you feel, John? Uh, that they've got the monopoly board and we don't. Uh, Enzo Fernandez now British transfer record one hundred and twenty one million euro over eight and a half years. So there's uh, the accounting process is that they will. They weren't allowed to do that. I thought they'd close that loophole. Obviously uh, not fast enough. Not fast enough. Um, that the depreciation over it's, time. <laughs> isn't that great though? Oh, that loophole. We've closed that. Mm. Uh, it'll be next year before that actually happens. Yeah. So in the meantime, everybody else can keep. I can't like Joe Felix feels like. 
20 years ago. I had, we had, were saying this yesterday, I had forgotten. Yeah. Uh, like, Mudrick. Uh, Mudrick Saga's same. You know, Mudrick, you're the guy, you know, you know, you're yesterday's man now, it's now Anza Fernandez, the guy today, who will be tomorrow, you know, so, um, eight and a half year deal. Has uh, anybody written out their team? Like, yeah. yeah, the depth chart is Graham, Graham Potter, poor man. As somebody else pointed out, and they still have Kai Havertz as their <laughs> centre forward, and they still have one of those two goalkeepers as yeah. their goalkeeper, who maybe maybe his coaching will turn Kepa into a world-class goalkeeper. Maybe. Uh, Jorginho going to Arsenal for 12 million. Do they still have a 37-year-old centre-back? 38-year-old centre-back? Chelsea do, yeah, well. What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be Graham Potter as well, as well remunerated as he is. You wouldn't want to be him. Um, trying to work that all sort out. Sort of the egos in that dressing room, trying to keep them all happy. Not not a chance. Yeah. Not a chance. Um, Potter, I'll, interesting to see how he deals with that. Marcel Sabitzer gone to... Is um, Aubameyang still there? Who? Uh, he's still in the club. Aubameyang, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a weird team. Yeah, it is, it is strange. <laughs> the weirdest team in the yeah. history of football. It is, it is literally... The, yeah. we're, we're, we, should, we should take a moment for the joy of living at the end of civilization, where Chelsea are able to do this and put this team together. It is like, there was a time when Silvio Berlusconi was signing players for world record fees because they were good looking, right? Uh, <laughs> I've just momentarily forgotten the name. Gianluigi Lentini. He signed him because he's a good looking boy. It's 12 and a half million. Lentini, yeah. Lentini crashed his car and was never the same player after. And he recovered to play some Serie A football again. But that was, a, he was injecting him into one of the best teams in the world at that stage who had... Um, first Saki and then uh, Capello as their managers and that was the weirdest team that you'd ever seen when Berlusconi started to play God now what is going on your man must have had like a bat phone one of those red phones Todd Bailey like he must have one of these super phones that he just picks up the receiver and there's somebody on the other end get me him for 100 200 I, no, I don't care I'll pay 300 <laughs> a million uh, Kaylor Navas joined in Nottingham Forest on loan from PSG was a, was a good one that I saw yesterday as well. Uh, Jorginho, as I mentioned, uh, I think that was a good move for Arsenal from an experience point of view. Uh, 12 million. Um, so Newcastle into the cup final, uh, League Cup final, uh, 2-1 win over Southampton last night. Uh, Sean Longstaff scoring twice. It's funny, like the Saudi whole ownership thing is just like completely now. You see all the fans, the hope and passion and pride and winning being brought back to Newcastle and now it's, well, you know, it doesn't matter the Saudis on it. Interesting piece in the FT at the weekend. Was it the FT or was it the London Times? Well, they went off and they wrote this piece about um, Saudi Arabia and it starts with uh, a doctor in the desert at a rave talking about taking ecstasy and how uh, generally life is much better and freer now ever since MBS assumed power so long as you follow the rules. But as soon as you step outside the rules, well, things don't go very well for you. It's like, um, and sorry, they, they've, they've like... Uh, society has become much more open, but you can't criticise the powers that be. And it's um, it's just a really interesting global experiment that's happening. And Newcastle are uh, a pawn in that. Live Golf is a pawn in it. The Phil Mickelson photographs, have you seen Phil? No. Phil is a man transformed. He's lopped off 20 pounds, he says. He's at, his, um, he's at his college weight. And uh, last year was a blip when he couldn't hit snow off a rope last year when they'd invested 350 million in him. Uh, and he chronically underperformed. I presume there was a lot of pressure on him to come back this season and start playing some good bloody golf because nobody wants to see Phil Mickelson. Yeah, the thing about it is, part. nobody's going to see it, are they? Um, they'll, they'll, they'll see the Saudi International, but um, and they've got a they've got a, a TV deal now with um, a network C- CW or something. In the I, States? Had, I hadn't heard of them before, yeah, but um, yeah. like apparently they're the Dave of the USA. There's a there is a 
there is a bit of me that wonders if the European Union actually really, or the European Union, the um, European Tour hope they lose the court case so that the live golfers could only play the European Tour events. All of a sudden, the European Tour would be the best tour in the world. Yeah, yeah. If secretly they're like, maybe we could just like make an error on our filings. You know, just just make sure you don't file the right document on time and we lose and we have to have a year and a half where all of the world's best golfers are playing against Roy McIlroy in Europe every week. <laughs> it was, uh, you'd wonder if, would Rory have made that putt without the live juice in his, in, his, in his veins? I don't know. I think that the win was hugely important for him. Um, and Shane Lowry partying with his caddy, which was an interesting story over the last few days, Bo Martin. End of an era. Uh, so um, the chemistry gone and big year for Shane Lowry and he'll have to have a new looper in the bag. Surely with caddies, though, it's just a life expectancy. Like two or three years is more than you're so close to the person for that length of time that that's a natural enough. End Harry, of the Harry Diamond situation is like their best mates, you well, know. Yeah, yeah Ronald Flood and Harrington. Well, they're, they're it can work for a long term. Like brother-in-law, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, hard to sack the old brother-in-law, wouldn't it? Be? It would be <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christmas, Christmas dinner is like, oh. yeah. Um, that, that's a strange barbecue we're having today. <laughs> after I sacked you last week, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we don't know really know what's going to happen with Kilmer and how they how they feel about. Um, uh, this uh, ruling that there has to be a replay now for the for the All Ireland Club final. Uh, they've gotten until Friday to appeal to the Central Appeals Committee, but why would that be any different? Uh, so we could be going to the Disputes Resolution Authority and an independent tribunal to decide what happens here and what will Kilmacud do? How will they play? Because that's what they've been ordered to do now. So play the bloody game. It's uh, back in back in their court. I was watching back last year's final this morning between Kerry and Galway in the intercounty game, and uh, and Asman goes out over the tannoy, but it's very very quick players in and out uh, and look that has worked but ultimately that has to change now yeah. but I was reading out the weekend about the Garth Brooks money they made so much money out of the Garth Brooks concert the plenty of money to have a formalised process in GA where you hold up the board you stop play and it has to go that way now how long have they had the boards? since the dawn of time no, in the GA have we always had the uh, boards going up? I feel, uh, does anybody remember the introduction of the boards? Is he, it's been around a while hasn't it? has it? Uh, it's one of these things because it just happens we, we, we don't like compute it in our mind's vision because yeah, 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 yeah. it's not important yeah and now it is everybody knows when a sub comes on a sub goes off yeah. everybody knows from under 10 football <laughs> the yeah, first yeah. thing you learn is oh sub okay I have to go off because that's my job I'm sorry you don't need money to, to make substitutions properly you need a modicum of common sense I think like, I just think it has to be very much we're stopping this now like like in a, like in a Premier League soccer game Well it, it does it does because apparently people can't follow the age old <laughs> bit where one comes on and one goes off that was too complicated for us to, yeah, to manage yeah, in yeah. the biggest game of the year I mean you know I just I like we got, we got lost in the moral maze here when what's the right outcome the right outcome is a replay you can't win a game with 16 against 15 you can't do it mm. they've got to find them they could have found them, but that wouldn't have been that wouldn't have been right either because like they can. But they would have put the whole thing to bed. <laughs> but, they, but but I don't think it would have. You don't think so? Well, because okay, if I'm Dublin versus Kerry in an All Ireland final, and I think I'm going to be able to get an advantage by putting a 16th man on, and the and the precedent is a fine. I'm paying the fine. <laughs> Throw me in, coach. Yeah, I'm paying yeah. the fine. Yeah, like I'm going to ring that big benefactor. People will do anything to win. Well, right? where, where does it stop? Because they have so 19 you have players. To, you have to. You have to change the rules. You have to sorry, apply the rules to make sure that people don't think that they can they can. I just push, think it, it was inadvertent. I, I did feel. Well, look, they haven't told us. Do you know? They they haven't come out and, and spoken about it publicly. Like, um, and and that's what you think, right? But we don't know. And mm. here's the thing: it doesn't really matter if it's inadvertent. Did you benefit from it? Yes or no? Yes, you did. You had 16 men on for a period of the game. <laughs> game over. That's it. 
Your moral authority's gone. Anyway, sorry. Bring on this replay. Shit, <laughs> shit limericks. Oh, no, that's not... Oh. There once was a boy from the sticks who wanted to write good limericks. Had rhymes like a bard, just found it quite hard to not come across as a... Shane Hannan's shit limericks on OTBAM. There you go. Stinging all. And a little bit of uh, distant music, eerie music in the background. Uh, yeah, I mean, I- I'm going to have to write a few limericks, but we're waiting on submissions so people can actually yeah. send in their own. That's the whole point of this slot. Let's be having you. So stop stop making me have to write these things. This morning's three limericks, lads, and John, you can react <laughs> to these as well. They're along the theme of Wales, and this is a call-out to every single Welsh person. It's a call-out to Warren Gatland. It's a call-out to all the Welsh players ahead of this weekend's action on Saturday afternoon in the Six Nations. So I've written three little Welsh-themed limericks for you, so uh, you can rate these, lads. They probably get uh, gradually more and more insulting towards the Welsh people as they go along. This is uh, limerick number one. They have the voice of Tom Jones and his dulcet, sexy Welsh tones. But we have Van der Fleer, the World Player of the Year, and this Saturday all they'll have are their moans. <laughs> Living down to the title of a chain, I love it. Risky, I love it. Leaning risky, in. Risky stuff. That. Yeah, the risky stuff. This one is uh, it's for Warren Gatland. This one is for Warren G. Welsh forms as ugly as Nanny McPhee. Your team is as weak as your symbol, the leak, and a way win, we will guarantee. Who's Nanny McPhee? Uh, Nanny McPhee, uh, everyone gets the reference, yeah. <laughs> Movie, um, pimples in the face, objectively ugly, a bit like the Welsh form. This one, John, is probably the most insulting, the third one, towards Welsh people, and I apologise in advance. Ireland will enter the House of the Dragon, but Welsh hopes they are a flagon. The valleys are shite, Bale was only alright, just stick to the sheep you've been shearing. A bit of a bit of a beaten one there. <laughs> not me, not me, not me. Is this no, going to be on? Wales online. Wales, I was just going to say Wales online <laughs> at, at Shane Hannan one. <laughs> yeah, one. It's zero one. But uh, if you want to get the right one, but uh, yeah, I just I just feel like uh, we've been too nice to the Welsh this week. Ordinarily, we've been calling them out. So yeah, those three. You can tell me if you, which one you preferred out of one, two, and three, and I'll, I'll continue along those themes. Uh, but this week's theme had to be the, uh, the Welsh, I think. Okie doke. It's uh, t- <laughs> is it time for a quick break? No, no break. It's time for Deal or No Deal. Hi, Roy, it's Maddie Taylor. I can see him getting his car. I've decided to go to Bolton. I'm waving him going out the car. Man. Just love moving teams and then you have to do an initiation. They just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line. It was uh, one of the weirdest transfer windows of all time. Uh, an absolute record amount spent by Chelsea. I think, well, Chelsea have broken all the previous records on their own. Uh, Chelsea spent £323 million in the January transfer window. Phil is with us. We're going to start, though, with Matt Doherty. Uh, a good deal for Matt Doherty? A good moment in Matt Doherty's career? Yeah, well, if, if he's going to get into the team, he's going to have to get in ahead of a World Cup winner, Molina, who's the current right-back. And at the moment, Simeone seems to be playing a four at the back, which, obviously, we kind of associate Matt Doherty with being a wing-back. But, yeah, it, it, look, it, we were talking here yesterday about... You know what kind of transfer deadline day could we expect, and then the Matt Doherty news broke, and that definitely just got after us, we were off air. Yeah, no, but it, it definitely got everyone's interest because Atletico is a huge club. Yeah. I mean, they're one of the big three in Spain. Diego Simeone getting to play for Diego Simeone. What will he pick up playing for him? Mm, we all the, know the dark arts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, show the rest Australia of the Hogwarts. Yeah, 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 exactly. If we were to become one of the most annoying pains in the hole to play against in world football, I would be delighted. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you were talking about it there. You got to do whatever it takes to win. You'd want Matt Doherty just running one of the Irish training sessions before the French game and just doing a whole lesson on 
Simeone tactics <laughs> and shithousery. Well, just like oh, uh, basically Matt Darty up at a chalkboard or a whiteboard. This is what I've learned in three weeks, lads. Yeah, yeah. I've learned in a lifetime. He's going to need to. He's going to need it if he's probably going to be marking Mbappe. Surely Antonio Conte knows a thing or two about this too. We're, we're underrating Antonio Conte's. In fairness, Shane made the point, he's worked for some really, really brilliant managers now. Yeah. And, like, again, I've no idea if he wants to go into management, but he's certainly he's going to have a good book, you would hope, and plenty of good stories at the end of this. Um, but equally, like, if he wants to become a coach, it's a, it's a different path he's taken. Yeah, and look, there's going to be a lot more Irish people watching Spanish football on a Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, the, the kickoff times, whatever, whatever happens. But... The way it's worked out, the fact that the Spurs contract was terminated means that if it doesn't go well from an Atletico, he's a free agent in the summer and I'm sure there'll be plenty of suitors there. Yeah. And if it goes well, he gets a permanent deal with Atletico. Mm. Win, 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 win. That's it. (laughs) Spanish weather. He's got got quality of life over there. What time of year to be heading over to Spain? Yeah. Perfect. What a, what a move. It's sprung. I mean, London's pretty good weather-wise. Not bad, yeah. yeah. Further south, it's yeah. Better than Wolverhampton. Um, Shane Duffy's move to, fir- to Fulham was made permanent. He'd been on loan here. This is, this is an accounting procedure, surely? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And he's not getting the kick of the ball at Fulham. So going back to what we were talking about, the international game in March, that would suggest that he's not going to play against France. And I think the general feeling even when Stephen Kenny took over that players like Shane Duffy would be phased out but in fairness when Shane Duffy came back into the team because he didn't, he wasn't playing well at the time when he was with Celtic he was having a tough time off the pitch as well and he kind of came back in and he still poses that goal threat that you know we find ourselves 1-0 down and the panic at the end just start lumping the ball in and Shane Duffy's always good for a goal or setting up a goal but yeah you'd be surprised if he gets much game time between now and then with Fulham um, Manchester United ended up having to sign somebody because Christian Eriksen's injury proved to be much worse than was feared they're talking about late April May early May for him to return from the ankle injury caused by Andy Carroll in the FA Cup match uh, Eric Ten Hag is out saying these types of challenges are absolutely ridiculous we've seen it now two two big games in a row um, in the Cup where players have had significant injuries because of these types of tackles and, and maybe we need to have a conversation around that but they've gone and they've signed uh, I don't know is it Sabitzer 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 Bits in the middle yeah. Sabitzer it's a good deal isn't it do is you know it? what it's is it a good deal is he a good player well, he is versatile, a good player versatile yeah. as well like. yeah he is he I would say is more dynamic than Christian Eriksen I would say Eriksen's uh, a bit of a cooler customer when under pressure mm. but like Eriksen Sabitzer has a decent shot in him. If he's got a sight on goal 30 yards out, he's yeah. going to have a shot. And he can play in a few different positions. And it just actually shows that the difference a few months makes for Manchester United, where you know the news breaks that Ericsson's out until late April. And then an hour later, they're being linked to Sabitzer. And you're thinking, yeah, geez, that actually makes a lot of sense. The point is as well, so they've got West Ham in the FA Cup fifth round. They've got probably a Carabao Cup final against Newcastle. They're fighting for top four and they've got Barcelona in the Europa League. Mm. The, the fact that they're fighting on four fronts is why they've bought Sabitzer. Like if they were out of two of those cups at this stage, mightn't have even made the move. But they need they need options with Ericsson out. Yeah, absolutely. And I look, it's a lone move. In the push for top four, they had to make a move, right? Yeah. Because he clearly is using the players who are there, but... Do we think McTominay has a long, long-term long future? I'm not even sure if Fred has a long-term future. Like, he, 
these players are improving under Ten Hag but if he can replace them with players who he thinks are even a step above and have a higher ceiling then he's going to do that I think to your point Phil like uh, in previous years the injury would have happened they would have been linked with the gazillion players I mean they were linked with the gazillion players yesterday obviously when, <laughs> when the news came through but nothing would have happened for months and months and months and months oh. they would have signed a player replacement in the summer by which that was too late yeah and then yeah you're just you know they, uh, you said the, the term you used yesterday was the banter the banter era, like it's it's over. Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag, where they're starting to do things sensibly, and they haven't let players go out either. There was talk that Alanga might go out, but it goes back to what you're saying, Shane, is that they need that bit of depth. Where there is certain games where you know you you got to rest players, and you've got five substitutions, so sometimes you just got to grind it out for an hour, and then you bring on your impact players and you, you get the win. Tell you who wasn't having it yesterday was Paul Merson on Sky. Panic by doesn't get playing for Bayern. That wasn't having Sabitzer to United whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know how much of the Bundesliga. Paul Merson well, there is that as well. Yeah, yeah. But look, this guy is Thiago didn't play that much for uh, Bayern, did he? And he was mm. he's, been, he's been okay for uh, Liverpool. You yeah. have to say he's been a good signing. He's a veteran international. He's only twenty eight, but he's got did Thiago play every game for Bayern? Am I wrong about that? Oh, well, Thiago was brilliant in the Champions League final when they won it. No, like Thiago's problem has always been injuries. Yeah. So um, that's why when I saw Liverpool linked with Angolo Conte, I was like, Liverpool don't need another injury-prone midfielder. <laughs> the last thing they need, in fact. No, definitely not. But they decided just to sit out the January transfer window after Cody Gakpo. They just moved away from the window, went back to the corner of the room, and that was that. And Everton the same. Everton were clawing at the window, though. Everton is to. just... You, you, you kind of We talked, obviously, about whether they could get Bielsa interested in coming on board. If they had managed to get him in, which obviously they didn't, and then done Not nothing in the transfer window, <laughs> we'd be reading a statement out now. Oh, Bielsa's resigning. Is it true that Bielsa wanted the under-21s job? Not the senior job? He, he obviously wanted the senior job, but he didn't want it. No. Now, he, he basically looked at it and said, no, I'd need the whole pre-season, which is what he tends to do anyway. Yeah. He does. But I suppose you kind of some, if you're Everton, you have to talk to him to see, could you convince him mm-hmm. that, you know what, break the tradition see can you come in and he obviously assessed it he thought no but do you know what I will have a look at the under 21s <laughs> and I will build them up and Must maybe be else a thing ever yeah but it's uh, look they've got Sean Dyche we're going to find out in the next few months was Frank Lampard the problem mm. if, if, if Sean Dyche Probably. gets Ber- uh, Everton I was going to say Burnley if he gets them working their way up the table with the same group of players but just better organised then it won't really reflect too well on, on Lampard regardless of what happens anyway Everton are not in a good place That's the least I expect though I, I do expect them to, to be better and I also think that not losing anybody else other than the disaffected kid who was like didn't really want to be there hmm. That's that maybe that's a, a, an addition by subtraction because um, all of their other players who were any good have been linked with various teams over the course of the um, transfer window as well. So maybe it's not the complete disaster that it looks on the face of it when they didn't sign anybody. Uh, just on Chelsea, right? Is there is there anything <laughs> anything that you think that makes any sense in what they've done? Or is actually, are we are, like, next year, are Chelsea going to be the best team in world football as a result of the business they've done up to this point? I mean, they've signed 18 players under Todd Bowley. It's a whole new squad. <laughs> and some, like Graham Potter... He's got unbelievable players to work with now, but in a way you wonder, is this creating way too many headaches for him? 
Mm. Like some managers like to work with a smaller pool of players, but he now has to he has to sit down and try and work out what system suits the way he wants to play, what players suit the way he wants to play, best positions for all these players. And with all these signings, obviously, it just creates even more pressure. You draw one all against Everton. Mm. Chelsea fans are going, you've got the most expensive player in, in British football sitting in the midfield. He's a World Cup winner. Why aren't you beating Everton? Or I just use an Everton, for example. I just... The, the expectation is, is going to just Does go Tom through the Does Tom think he's playing the PlayStation? He definitely thinks he's playing some sort of fantasy football. It's madness. And as we said earlier, the money is Monopoly money at this stage for him. Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, this obviously, this is the January transfer window where the Premier League clubs have spent the most. And when you just see the, the figures of what the Premier League has spent in the rest of Europe, I said, it's no surprise why the Super League was put on the table and why you kind of suspect that it'll come back around soon. It's definitely coming back. It's definitely, the, yeah. that has not gone away. Uh, one last thing, where will Chelsea finish this season? Mm, I, just, I don't think they're going to finish top four. I think, like you're obviously looking, I have the two, for, the top two are locked Can't in. Can't finish top four at this stage. No, I have the top two locked in, whether it's Arsenal or City. Yeah. Then, I watched Newcastle last night. Now I know, Look, the, the tie was done and dusted, but they were atrocious in the second half. Um, you just wonder, as the season goes on, will they start dropping points? They're very hard to beat, but will they start drawing too many games? But then again, if they were to go and win a League Cup, that could give them the ultimate high, and then they, they finish the season out strongly. United, again, look like they're going to do it as bad as Spurs have been. Mm. And they're still there. I came into the uh, department yesterday evening to my to my Arsenal supporting housemate, my Arsenal obsessed housemate, and I was like, "Oh, geez, twelve million for Jorginho? You must be delighted." And he says, "Ah, yeah," but the Arsenal fans are fairly split. He says we're so used to buying Chelsea Deadwood, yeah. whether it's Petr Cech, William. or William, or David Luiz, players who were good, and then they picked them up at a at a, at a tail end. Like, is Jorginho heading that direction, or is Jorginho actually a good? Like, if he scores ten goals, ten assists, whatever it might be between now and the end of the season, helps them win the league. It'll it'll have been a good signing but could go with the other way but he's also coming into a, a much better Arsenal team yeah fair that's the difference he f- suits the way Arsenal play he's going to come in and he's not going to be a, a starter every week but if Thomas Partey's not available Jorginho sits there and just gets the ball rolled and conducts everything and he's not going to score goals he's not going to set up too many goals but that's not what his role will be and Arteta obviously is a big fan of him and take the penalties off Saka no no, I also no. You can't. You, you gotta. Why can't you? Because he's really excited and he's a burgeoning, blossoming talent. And you back him and you tell him you're my number one guy. Uh, the thing about Jorginho, and I saw this only in one place. So I'm not sure if it's true, but there's only an 18 month contract, so they're not marrying him. Yeah. This is like a short term affair to get them over the hump, and they can cash in on him in the summer and get the money back if um, if they win the league and sign Declan Rice or if yeah, Moses Casado or whoever it was that they actually really wanted. Jude Bellingham. So it's just it's it's in that in that instance it's good business as opposed to panic buying, which you know we would have. It's been a good window for Arsenal if you think that they're obviously top of the league. They've brought in a new centre half, mm. brought in a new midfielder, and they brought in a new attacker. I think it's. Yeah. I think they're the winners of the transfer window in terms of we've strengthened our team from a position of strength. We're not the chaos and the financial fair play disaster ticking time bomb that um, I suspect Chelsea will end up being. And you have an offload of one of your best fullbacks like Man City mm. because of, because you're the fit of peak. It's that is the, we'll come back to the Cancelo thing uh, yeah. in the in the months to come. 
as um, if they got one injury in that all of a sudden well if only we had uh, you know the guy who was like brilliant last season absolutely brilliant yeah 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 right we gotta go that is this week's uh, today's Deal or No Deal Hi Roy it's Maddie Taylor I can see him getting his car I've decided to go to Bolton I'm waving him going out the car park just love moving teams and then you have to do an initiation they just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line Tomorrow we've got uh, Daniel Harris reacting to Manchester United and Nottingham Forest. It's a done deal, but how good or bad are they in the second leg of the semi-final where they're already through to the final, basically. Uh, Around the World of Hannon is uh, back on Thursdays where it finds the love and nourishment that it requires. Uh, We'll have David Myler telling us why you had to be there and more Six Nations build-up as well. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 